everyone, and welcome to Mrs. King's Chronicles, a podcast for the fans of the 1980s TV show Scarecrow Mrs. King. I'm Jen Peterson, and I'm joined by friends Lexi Fima and Taya Johnston. Unfortunately, Miranda Thomas is unable to join us. Today, we'll be talking about Season 3's final episode, All the World's a Stage. This episode aired May 12, 1986, and a little bit of trivia about the title. It is named after a quote from William Shakespeare's play, As You Like It. And the quote is, all the world's a stage, and all the men and women merely players. I think that's kind of cool. The director was Sidney Hayers, who we just talked about, because he also directed our last episode, The Boy Who Could Be King. He also directs season four episodes, The Man Who Died Twice, Santa's Got a Brand New Bag, and Promises to Keep. The episode was written by Richard Raskin. This was the only SNK episode he wrote, and there's not much information on him. His other writing credits included 11 other shows such as Heart to Heart, Family Ties, ER, Hunter, and Coach. And his last credit was in 1992. There really wasn't a lot about him, though, on, um, online. So now I'll jump into guest stars. Daniel Davis played Tony Martinet, the director of the play Parisian Intrigue and love interest of Faria von Clausen. He also played the evil Robert Castile in Vigilante Mothers in season two. And I can't quite get that out of my mind in this episode for some reason. <laughs> so we talked about him at that time. And just to jog your memory, his major role was probably playing the British butler Niles in The Nanny from 1993 to 1999. And this role was particularly fitting for him because he was a big Shakespeare fan. <laughs> Um, he did a lot of plays back in the day, and he was quoted as saying, Shakespeare didn't write to provide grist for scholarly mills. He wrote scripts for actors. All the information we need is in the play, in the story. That should be the emphasis of the production. The words give us the characters, their relationships and emotions, and the sense of time and place. And I think that's very true about Shakespeare and his play, so... Thought I'd throw that in there. Carolyn Smith played Maria von Clausen. Caroline started acting in 1979, and her last credited is in 1996. She's best known for The Incredible Hulk, and also had roles in Galactical 1980, St. Elsewhere, and Designing Women. I'll mention this Galactical 1980 because there's a lot of actors in this episode that participated in that show for whatever reason. It's like a Galactica 1980 reunion, and I didn't even watch that show, so I don't... <laughs> I don't I don't know what it, I take it it was a Star Trek spinoff or something. No idea. Galactica or Galactica? Yeah. Hmm. Galactica 1980. Huh. I don't know. Albert Paulson played the puppet master, Sergei Khrushchev. Albert was actually not Russian or even European. He was born in Ecuador in 1925. Before he started acting in 1951, he was a private in the U.S. Army during World War II, which I thought was interesting. Hmm. Most of his roles were of communist spies, Russian generals, and Nazi officers, which makes sense. He had steady acting roles with credits including The Rockford Files, Starsky and Hutch, Doctor's Hospital, which I guess was a soap opera. He also acted in Charlie the Angels uh, with Kate. Season 1, Episode 15, Angels on a String. Ted, maybe you know him from that episode. I do. That was the one with the math. <laughs> <laughs> that was the one with the mathematician. I'd have to go back and watch it. I don't remember it. Yeah. But he also acted in Galactica 1980 <laughs> and Hawaii Five-0. His last acting credit was in 1988, and he died in sleep, unfortunately, in 2004 in Los Angeles. Mm. But he had a long acting career, which looked like a lot of fun roles. Alan Miller played Carl Valentine. Alan was born in 1929 in Brooklyn, New York, and had a long acting career. Uh, he played in several TV shows from 1970 through 2017 and is probably best known for his work on soap operas. 
He started with One Life to Live. He went to Dallas, Knott's Landing, General Hospital, and Santa Barbara, my favorite. So he was in a lot of soap operas. Other TV shows included Wonder Woman, Police Story, and you guessed it, Galactica 1980. (laughs) Um, So, Quincy, M.E., Archie's Bunker's Place, 21 Jump Street, Who's the Boss?, L.A. Law, Murder, She Wrote, Law and Order, and even E.R. So he kind of extended up into more popular shows of maybe my day. I, I guess it has been several years now since E.R. was a, a big a big show on TV. One interesting fact about Alan is that he was also an actor's coach at the actor's studio uh, for former students such as Barbara Streisand, Dustin Hoffman, Meryl Streep, and Geraldine Page. So wow. that's kind of cool. He's coaching the big the big dogs, so to speak. Michael Shafeo played Ernie the Camera. Obviously, this is one of my favorite characters because <laughs> I do video ball with Ernie the Camera. And this is the only episode with Ernie the Camera, which is uh, awfully sad. Michael started acting in 1981 and is still acting today. He has a show right now called The Mercy List in pre-production. He played mainly one-time roles uh, on a large variety of TV shows, uh, um, such as 18, Katie Lacey, but also comedies like Malcolm in the Middle, Bones, Middleist, The Closer, Better Call Saul, and The Rookie. It's most recent. And if Miranda know were on there, she'd probably talk about The Rookie. Nathan Fillion. That's her favorite actor. Yeah, yeah Nathan Fillion. So those are all the major guest stars I want to talk about. There were a few fun facts. Daniel McVicker played the bartender in the play in this episode. Episode, but he also played in Vigilante Mothers and The Three Faces of Emily, where he was the agent with the linen photo. If anyone remembers that scene in Three yeah. Faces of Emily, he yep. had the linen photo. He wants to know where to put it. <laughs> so apparently he's, yeah, creeping around in these other episodes. We might not notice him. Ben Slack played Dr. Grant Smith in this episode. Um, he also played Liberty Larry in season one's Lost and Found, which I don't remember. I'll have to... Uh, jump back and check out season season one lost and found that's a good episode mm-hmm, it is it's over uh, <laughs> especially that scene with yeah Larry. there is one filming location for this episode of note which is the courtyard marriott marina del rey i don't know tiff you since you visit a lot of uh I didn't make it Season. down to Delray. Um, yeah. I didn't make it down there, unfortunately. No. That must be where they're jumping into the pool and all sorts of things. Yeah. Um, yeah. Anyone's curious. Yeah. So you can go check that out. When they were filming season two's finale, Vigilante Mothers, uh, they got word during filming that they were renewed for season three. And Kate told Daniel Davis, he must be a good luck charm. So Kate said that he would need to come back for season three so that he would be, uh, you know, give him luck again. And he was for season three, and they got renewed. But then he said that he wasn't on the season finale for season four. And look what happened. <laughs> so he apparently was their good luck charm. Damn it. Yep. If only they would have brought him back. I know. And what would he have played a good character or a bad character? It has to be bad, right? Both I mean- of them. <laughs> well, he was kind of a good one in this, good and bad. But um, at what point is he good? Mothers, he puts he his own bad. needs well, in front of hers, yeah. and he shoots her up with drugs. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's a bad boy. Sure, I'd like to think that he wouldn't have done that unless they had threatened her life at the end. Like he would have changed his mind, but maybe not. Maybe I'd be too generous. I think you're being a little <laughs> I generous. About, I think he was just about to change his mind, and then they called and said, "Hey." You better go through this or I'm going to kill you both or her or whatever they said. But, yeah, he's better than when he wasn't vigilante mothers. Yeah, he was, he was evil. And he was definitely, yeah. he's definitely better, but he's still a bad guy. I mean, he's still, mm-hmm. you know, 
put his own needs in front of hers. Yeah. So. Yes, clearly. It wasn't like his life was being threatened at that point. It was, you're not getting your plate. Yeah, clearly. I think he would have changed his mind. He was about to, he had her sleeve up and then the phone rang. (laughs) (laughs) Do not defend that man. Yeah, baby. Yeah, he was too much of a, had too much of a love for the theater and his play, unfortunately. Yeah. He was down on his luck. (laughs) Yeah. Had to make it happen. I guess so. Lee and Amanda go undercover to stop the Soviets from manipulating an American playwright into gaining access to U.S. strategic defense information and in the process have a long-awaited opening night of their own. To start off with, we have the shooting final draft dated March 24th, 1986. Um, There are quite a few changes in here, um, so we'll talk about those as they come up. So the episodes have been these last few of the season have definitely been in different locations around the world and now we're in Russia and we get quite a few shots of uh, of mother Russia and the scene itself opens with you would assume in the Kremlin they're they're having a discussion about the horrible Americans I don't have a Russian accent though I don't know. Sorry. And they're talking about how every day they fall further behind in the space weapons. And it's all because of um, the only reason the Americans are ahead of the Russians in in this is because of uh, Maria von Clausen. And she's the key to their problem, they said. She's the sole reason uh, the U.S. is at least 18 months ahead in the space laser application. It's nice to have a woman STEM STEM program even back in the 80s, you know. It's so rare, yeah, especially absolutely. back there. Yeah. yeah, especially back then. So Zubrovsky is talking and they're in a Kremlin meeting room, uh, according to the script. And uh, he's trying to explain, you know, why the Russians are behind and what their plan is, you know, what they need to do to get her. They're just they're going to kind of just go and grab her. And you hear kind of this chuckling of, of amusement, like dumbasses, kind of like the guys, <laughs> like, seriously, what you guys are wasting your time. I could do this easily, you know, kind of thing. So Zabrowski calls him out on it. And he's like, like, what's so funny, dude? <laughs> and uh, he's saying, perhaps you have a better suggestion, comrade Kutyov, because he seems so vastly amused. They always, everything's so dramatic you know mm-hmm. <laughs> you spout your vigorous tactics but you're doomed before you begin he goes let me get maria von clausen for you i won't have to flex more than my fingers and then he throws a script now the script it's kind of funny talking about a script in the script but the script within the script of the show mm-hmm. it's actually called intrigue and it's written by tony marchand not Martinet. And it's not Parisian intrigue yet at this point. So again, this is the shooting final draft. So pretty. I mean, this is March 24th and this aired on May fi- uh, May 12th, right? So didn't didn't uh, have too many script changes after this, I don't think. But that was definitely right. one of them. So it turns into Parisian intrigue. And instead of Tony Marchand, it's Tony Martinet. I like Martinet better, I think, myself. Sounds flows a better. better. Yeah, flows a little better. I'm surprised it's not Tony Tarshan because they always love the alliteration. Remember? Yeah. All the names. Millicent McDonald and all those guys. Yeah. He throws the script on the, the, the conference table across from him. And so that's the key is that's how he's going to get this scientist is through this script that's supposedly being performed. And then we cut to 
it says April 10th, 1986 on the script too. So it's hmm. um, pretty pretty close to when they probably filmed it too. Yeah. Then we're at the agency and we're up in the cube bureau and your favorite dental uh disaster your dental 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 disaster speaking of alliteration your dental disaster leatherneck is there and he is and he's so sweet he really is sweet but man i was watching i was screen capping the wrong way home earlier this week Mm -hmm. and uh his teeth they were up on close on his teeth and it was like oh what a travesty that poor man they were rough they were definitely rough. And I thought of you immediately. <laughs> he, he, he was too early for Kendall to even be a thought, but <laughs> wow. Could he benefit from her future services? Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> she would have been very meticulous. Yes. Yeah. She would have gotten straight out. She would have been like, what? Yeah. This, what do you think is probably like a situation where in his younger years, he didn't get braces or whatever. They started acting. They don't want to get braces because you're acting. You're acting. And then you're just stuck with the teeth you have. Yeah, and they didn't have a vis uh, Visalign back then either. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. Not to mention how difficult it probably would have been to talk with them too. So that oh, true. Pulls it out yeah. Quite a bit. Yeah. But, yeah. And some people anyway, don't get it fixed. Well, you know, you know, they don't yeah. get their gaps filled in or any of that stuff too. Yeah, it's yeah, kind of their that's thing. Like one of their traits. Yeah. Traits for him, it would have been you know just dental disaster. Like it's horrible quality on IMDb. <laughs> It really, it, I don't know. Oh. it really would have improved his, his smile, you know, his whole look. Yeah. He has a lot of fans, though. People find him to be attractive in the span. He's charming. He's, he's got his charms. You know, he's not my, yeah. t- he's not my type at all, <laughs> but he's, he's, yeah. he's got a, a, a sweet charm about him, but he's definitely, uh, yeah, a little awesome. too. I'll stick on the mouth up, especially now with his hair, like, kind of, like, back like that, and it's longer and dark with the leather jacket. You know, I love a good leather jacket. From here up, fine. Whatever. Yeah, yeah. I just did it on my screen, and I agree with you. Yeah. That's, I'm, like, looking up here like this. Yeah. But more importantly than how the mouth looks, it's how it works. So if he can work Oh, snap. You did not just go there. it's been a while for everybody (laughs) with quarantine (laughs) it's you know it's it's been a long time when we're uh, like uh snacking on uh leather neck it's time to get lexi out into the real world (laughs) so um amanda's um looking pretty in pink i do like this this is cute and the little it's like a ballet slipper pink yeah the gingham shirt yeah and then the little you know pink nude belt like the nude belt and then the pink skirt it's cute and then so she's got her hands behind her back and she's handcuffed and she he's he's trying to you know show her how to escape from them and she seems to be doing pretty well i mean especially behind your back that's pretty good and he mentions that and this is a important piece of it she's saying this would be a hell a heck of a lot easier if she could see what she was doing and, and he's like i know but 93 percent of the bad guys are, are going to lock your hands up behind your back they want to make it harder not easier for you so he's talking her through it telling her what she needs to do and lee comes in and so now she's got an audience i'm sure she's feeling a little bit like ugh. and he's just watching he's looking at her ass <laughs> Mm-hmm. 93 percent. that's a pretty um precise statistic for yeah bad guys cuffing if that's based on a 
based on actual data they collected. All I can think of, Jen, on that is somebody standing there going, now, uh, how were you, how were you handcuffed? Now, when you do your handcuffing, do you do it behind the back or do you do it in front? And what, you know, like what... It's so funny. Like he could have just said the majority of them yes, that way. Yeah, that would've been a lot better. <laughs> <laughs> she, she's um she's definitely doing it though, and and Lee seems to be quite impressed. Uh, at least something behind her is impressive in him. But he's like super impressed. Like she got herself out of it, and uh, he's like, he goes, "That's pretty good." He goes, "It took Ace here about oh six weeks <laughs> before he could get out of it, before he could Houdini himself out." And he's like, hey. So she's going through this course, learning how to pick locks and and uh, and get out of handcuffs and such. So um, so he he's leaving it with her so she can study it and, and practice. And uh, he's like, if you get stuck figuratively or otherwise, let him know. And then this is kind of a cute moment. She's still trying to get the other cuff off her hand. And, and he's like, uh, that is unless you're still tied up. She's like, no. And then undoes it really kind of smugly, like, no, I'm free. <laughs> kind of cute. Your partner's getting a little uh, self-sufficient there, Lee. Mm-hmm. They're heading down to the bullpen and they're talking uh, to Billy about uh, Martinet. And Amanda was um, familiar with him. Um, and, you know, she mentions that he was compared to Edward Albee. Have you guys ever watched an Edward Albee play? No. Mm-mm. I was watching one a couple weeks ago, um, and I can't remember what the name of it was, but it was a Catherine Hepburn one, and it's all dialogue, and it honestly, I couldn't get through it. It was just not my thing. I did try, though, because I do love Catherine Hepburn, but I just couldn't get through it. I'm not... So my only forte, my only um, exposure to him is was this particular one and I have to say I'm not a fan so I don't know it was a little heavy it was a little heavy and it was very just all dialogue that you know it's just the the character sitting there and just it's not my thing I guess yeah yeah it doesn't sound very interesting although this this type of play the absurdism and stuff isn't my type of thing either so I guess if he was compared to Edward Albee then (laughs) that tracks too so I'm not sure maybe somebody else is out there uh one of our listeners is a, a fan of, of Edward Elby's, but I wasn't. Yeah. And maybe that's not a fair judgment of his work, that one particular thing. I just, it wasn't my my thing, so I don't know. Mm-hmm. Anyways, um, so they are talking about um, this new play coming out, Parisian Intrigue. <clears throat> and um, I, I have to tell you, I don't remember how... How are they even, why is it even on their radar? Hold on, I'm trying to see what Billy says, because it doesn't make sense. Like, what do they care, you know? One of our, con- they, oh, okay. Russian intelligence or something? Yeah, okay. So one of the their contacts inside the Soviet embassy uh, managed to photograph several pages of a script by Tony Martinet. And Parisian Intrigue is the play, and it's coming out. It's going to be um, um, in production soon. And um, Billy obviously knew that Amanda was a, a drama buff. You know, uh, you know she she um, uh, studied a little bit of it in college, did some plays in college, and he's hoping to use that um, and have her on this case with Lee. And uh, Lee says he didn't know she was such a drama buff. She goes, "Well, I had a, a professor at UVA, and he loved 
his work and he, he had them read all of his plays. And she said she even performed uh, in, in one of his plays in college. <laughs> so, and Billy's like, precisely why I thought you would um, be able to help out here. So this is interesting too. So <clears throat> um, they have the pictures that the, the contact at the embassy smuggled out and it's all, it's the script, but then in, in the, in the uh, margin are, is Russian. It's in Russian. And Lee reads it right off. Like he's reading it, like he's reading English. So um, obviously he's memorized it, <laughs> his lines and such. But I'm just saying like he, you know, he can read Russian. Lee can. Obviously Bruce probably can, but Lee can. Yeah. That's kind of cool. This was something we didn't know before, right? Like the fact that, I mean, we can infer, like you said, because he's reading it off. Like, yeah, that, because that he, he says he speaks French, uh, a little, you know, Dutch and a little Urdu, right? So, yeah, he never mentions that he can he can speak Russian, right. you know? So. This is his hidden talent, and, so he can just and German, go, to the, yeah. go to the restaurants and uh, listen in and no one knows. Only Lee knows. Only <laughs> Lee knows. It's a, it's a logical thing to do. Have you guys yeah. watched Queen's Gambit? Yes. Oh, my God. It's so good. Oh, it is. And she learns Russian. Yes. It was um, so she good. She knows that she's going to be competing against them. Yes. And, and listen in to what they're saying. And it's awesome. I would love to be in that position. Like, yeah, that was so good. Yeah. yeah, I love that show. Yeah, it's- that was really good. I like that. I didn't think I would like it, and I really did. <laughs> yeah, Because it was about a, a lot of things besides chess. Yeah. Which, but the chess part is actually, you can kind of get into it a little bit, but yeah. um, it's just yeah, about I mean, all the, the other stuff. It, the and- Cold War, I mean, there was the Cold War and all that stuff. It was very interesting, yeah, for sure. We'll have to talk about that uh, another time, because I'd I'd love to pick your brain on that. I did like that a lot. Yeah. We binged it uh, one weekend. <laughs> It was good. Um, so um, they are not sure why they have this uh, information, you know, like what, what the Russians, why the Russians are interested in this play. Um, you know, the, the notes were kind of, you know, a little gooey and just like sugary sweet. Didn't really um, sound like Martinet's work to Amanda. Um, and um, hold on, I'm trying to catch up. And they made lots of dialogue changes. You look sad tonight. The crystal dewdrops of dashed dreams insult your eyes. She's like, oh, come on. That's not Martin A. And he's like, but what is? The deep background check on the man will take uh, too long. And his career has kind of kind of dwindled. Um, she said, yeah, people thought he had a lot of talent. Someone's, and then he says, someone still does. According to this, he's directing the world premiere of Parisian Intrigue at a Georgetown theater. It opens on Friday. And then Francine comes in. I would assume you love her hair here because you love the curly. Is that an accurate statement, Miss Fema? I cannot believe she's wearing a tangerine two piece. Yeah, thing. that's not. With a polka dot. Yeah, with the polka dot. Sure, whatever the hell that is. When she walked in, I was like, "You gotta be kidding me!" Like she, like again and again, she has so high of highs and so low of lows. Yeah, it's unreal. Well, at least she's unreal. not wearing brown. <laughs> That's true. That's true. It is a color. If she, yeah, if she, if she would look beautiful and has looked beautiful in so many color options. Yeah, that yeah. tangerine orange is not it. Not it. I think it's we can pretty much. I think we Ugh. can pretty much. 
give a, 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 a PSA for everyone. A rare breed can wear tangerine orange. You know, yeah, like like a Lupita Nyong'o. Uh, okay, right, and, right. And like, would look gorgeous I with her skin tone. Yeah, yeah. maybe like um, the actress who plays Daya from um, Orange Is the New Black. Yes. probably beautiful. Yeah, and a very pale, fair skinned yes. blonde hair, blue eyed woman. No, looks just not good. Not good. <laughs> not good. Mm-hmm. Uh, her hair yeah, and makeup looks, looks, looks good either. though. Sorry, yeah. Jen. What? I agree. I was just going to say, any orange shades or yellow does not look good on pale. On most people. <laughs> on most people. Kate looks great in yellow. Rarely does anybody else look good in yellow. Yeah, she's got that darker, yeah. darker look. Yeah. And yeah. dark hair helps, too. Yeah, yeah. I'm thinking of those, or wasn't it like a garden photo shoot, Taya, that you have on your website? Like, she's like walking, she's got that like turtleneck on. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Wow. In the 70s. Yeah, she looks really pretty in that. Yeah, yeah she wears yellow yeah. a few times and it's she looks really good at it. She's one of the few people that can pull it off, honestly. Yeah. Like, that was a yellow turtleneck. So yes. you know. Like, you yeah. know it was good when hey, you like wow. it. <laughs> you turtleneck yeah, hater. Things, yes. I forgot you're you're a turtleneck hater. I always wore them. I love them in high school and stuff. I always wore them because they're slimming. They're really slim on your neck, and they're very slimming on your body too. I don't think so. I, I don't. I agree. I agree. They're not. They're not. They just push up Well, in high school, I didn't have a double chin, so I had. I was. I had big boobs and a skinny waist. <laughs> That's the thing. It emphasizes, even if you don't have one, like, I think about when Lee, when he wears it, Lee does not have a double chin, but somehow when he wears a, a turtleneck, it just, like, pushes it right up. And it's like, <laughs> I wish everybody could see, I wish everybody could see your demonstration of yeah. your face all pushed up. This, this is how it looks when you're a turtleneck. <laughs> all over your back, you're shoved up. That's a tight turtleneck, man. That's like a collar neck. <laughs> yeah. Let some breathe. I Maybe get know. a size bigger, Lex, if it's choking you like that. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I don't think I don't think it, I think the V-neck or something is a lot more flattering and slimming. Oh, I hate V-necks. I hate V-necks. What? I feel so exposed. No I do. I hate them. I always have. You know why? Because boys used to always look down my try and look down my top because I had a rather large breasts yes. when I was. Uh, I still do, but I mean, I had them like for my size. I was definitely well endowed, and they always were obsessed with it, and so they'd yeah. always look. So then I never were. I always wanted to cover them up because I was so self conscious of it. Like I didn't want them doing that. Yeah. You know? Yep. I did that for a long time too, but I decided that I liked it, and I will call them out if they don't stop. Yeah. So, but it also wear it and then like put a scarf on. So like a cowl neck shirt, I could do. Just not a turtleneck. I just yeah. Yeah. Although I do have issues so. right now with my coworker. He's constantly grabbing my breasts and stuff. Should I mention that I'm working from home and uh, I'm sharing my office with my husband? But I am. I said I'm going to start like getting like going like covering myself when anybody walks by because I'm so it's been a year now almost that we've been working together. So Francine comes in and her her tangerine no no. And, um, oh, okay, the, the scarf thing has yellow in it. So I see how they're tying it in. Do you see it has the... Really? I yeah. Not, so at 527, there's a yellow band 
going across between the right where the black and, and the white meets the white and the black at 527. Yeah, I see it. Yeah, so they're tying and it does match exactly. So they are tying it in. No, you still don't like it? <laughs> yeah, I don't. I, I'm just saying at least that, that it blends yeah. together the two. But yeah, it's yeah, still horrible. Right. It looks horrible. Anyways, so she's explaining that the notes in the margin, there's a 75% chance that it's Dr. Serge Krutioff. And Lee explains to Amanda, but really the audience, Krutioff's Moscow's number one brain bender. He's Vienna trained to sh- uh, to shrink and he took the art of psychological warfare to new lows. And Amanda says, yeah, I know. I read a Kremlin study on him. So here's some in- kind of a, a snarky scene that we don't get to see in the actual scene. And next to my, on the, the margins of my script, I wrote meow. <laughs> so it gets, <laughs> it gets a little yeah. <laughs> Um So Francine comes in and says, uh, Billy says, Francine, what did crypto have to say? She said, not exactly Anton Chekhov, but clean. But we hit the jackpot in graphology. Don't you have something to do, Amanda? This is what she says. And Amanda says, this is it, Francine. <laughs> And Billy, impressed, reads, positive handwriting match to Dr. Suj Krutioff. Well, well. And Lee says, the puppet master. Huh. To Amanda, he says, Krutioff's the Kremlin's top brain bender, famous for knowing what mental buttons to push. Amanda says, I know. They're operations strategists. I think his latest Kremlin study was the psychometric effects of long-term sensory deprivation with and without electroshock. And Francine, a bit missed, says, how do you know that? Amanda says, I keep up on the KGB. Krutioff's name has been on the Moscow station roster since January. Billy says, the official roster, let's start looking for him here. And then Francine says, it keeps going. Francine, persisting to Amanda, says, you never used to get the Kremlin studies. And Lee, ticked off, says, she didn't used to pick locks either. To Billy, he says, Krutioff's big league, Billy. If he's mixed up in this, it's got to be hot. Want me to track it? He says, go. Start with Carl Valentine, the guy producing Marchand's play. I think he brought the Bolshoi to America in a few years ago. Maybe he's still got connections to the Soviets. Then he has a beat. Amanda, cover the rehearsal. See if you can pick Marchand's brain a little. Lee says, a step up from handcuffs. As Lee and Amanda start out, Francine says, Billy, don't you think this case calls for two trained agents? And Billy says, Amanda is familiar with Marchand's work. The knowledge may be valuable. Amanda says, you were right, Francine. I do have something else to do. Well, he must tr- truly like this death of Puppet Master because this is quite an involved plan with this play and everything. Yeah. And he really could kidnap Martinet and say, do this or else. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, it would have been a lot, a lot simpler. Yeah. <laughs> He's, what you did know, you say? I think you said something about the, the ones that are in it for the long game. This is, those are the ones that you yes. have to worry about the most. Like this is, this is yeah. that kind of guy, you know, he's, he's, yeah. I think it, more so the results, it's about the, the journey of it, the, the, the ins and outs it, of it. Yeah. yeah he, that he gets off on that, you know. Because don't they fund the play too? Mm-hmm. I yeah. Mean, he's, the he's the backer, right. It. And right. They, like rewrite it. I'm just like, holy cow, this is like a lot of work. Right. <laughs> <laughs> it's, and that's what I was saying in the beginning, Jen. It's like the, they're, they're so dramatic. Everything's so much more, uh, is bigger and 
and more dramatic, you know? So this is pretty much uh, that type of thing. It's that romance. Uh, the, it's like a romance uh, of it. You know what I mean? It's not just slam, bam, thank you, man kind of thing like a, an American would do, right? You know, a bad guy would just go, like yeah, you said, kidnap yeah. him and then go do this, right? Get it done. The The Russians seem to have this romance of it. You know what I mean? Like, just like later in um, season four, you know, when, when we start season four soon with uh, Stemwinder, you know, that whole thing is just so elaborate. Instead of just going and killing him where they had the chance, right? They don't. They have this whole big thing that's like this big dramatic scene of it, you know, to make a bigger deal than it is. I can appreciate that. It makes a good story and everything. It would have been better to do something like he couldn't come to America or something. He's like trapped in Russia. So he had to like do it through this uh, play, like backing this play. And, gotcha. Or something, some yeah. reason why he wasn't physically there, but he's physically there chasing them all over the place and doing the play. Right. So I'm just like, what? Yeah. <laughs> this yeah. really is kind of a strange game, but it does make for a good story. So yeah. 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 <laughs> we'll go with it. In the script, it's way more uh, cat like. Than what we actually got, which is pretty tame. I know you don't care for this when Amanda's kind of coming into her own as much, Jen. But I think this is kind of a another progression we see where Amanda's now learning how to pick locks. You know, um, we saw her previously, you know, um, learning to shoot and, you know, do all these things. Right. So now she's she's slowly becoming one of them, you know, more officially setting us up no, for season four. I, I definitely... I'm okay with this progression. Yeah. Okay. Um, it's late the enough in the season. Episode, what was the episode with, is it Sour Grapes? Yes. That's the one. early in the sequence. And mm-hmm. she was just like very pushy about things. Just like, what's with the bug? And you know, it's just like kind of out of character, right? Yeah. Whereas this is more like she's just progressing in kind of a fun way, like Amanda-like way. And she doesn't have that like hard edge to her. Um, yeah. So yeah, no, I'm fine with this progression. This well, fine. she says she's reading, you know, <laughs> she's reading the Kremlin studies and things like that. So, I mean, she's definitely, you know, that's not, that wasn't probably her reading material three years ago. But I do think she shifts back, switches back in season four to, to the man that I don't necessarily like. I'll, I'll have to watch for it again. Okay. But yeah. No, I Put like her out. in this one. I, okay, good. So Billy's saying if he's involved, you know, this is big league. He tells Lee he wants him to start with Valentine. He's the one who brought the Bolshoi uh, ballet to America. And uh, maybe he's got some connections with Soviets. And then he tells Amanda uh, to to cover the rehearsal, see if she can uh, pick his brain. She goes, and Francine says, if Krutyov's involved, don't you think this calls for a, a season agent? He goes, the fact is right now we don't know what we're dealing with. She goes, yes, but he goes, and Amanda is familiar with Martinet's work. This could be a valuable asset at this stage of the game. She's like, right. And he just keeps shutting her down. <laughs> and, uh, and he goes, I want you to, uh, to you, you to be on the bench if it gets anything, you know, too serious. She's like, right, sir. Now this is the first time we're at the strategic defense research building and there's lots of satellites and it's pretty intense, you know, heavy scrutiny. And then we see a bunch of, uh, you know, mathematic equations on the on the back on the uh, board behind us to show she's super smart. <laughs> yeah, I always wonder who they get to write those out. I know, you know, because it should make some sense, right? Right. <laughs> I they don't make sense to me, but yeah, maybe I, you're the doctor. Maybe I they can, make I sense can, to you. I can interpret <laughs> some of it, but yeah, not all of that. <laughs> Interesting. So she's definitely on a personal call and she's um talking with we know now Martinet 
and uh, they are uh, scheduling their tryst. <laughs> She's think- saying, shouldn't you be happier? You sound bored. Uh, you know, he's got his opening night soon. She's, uh, I'm going to say it. She's horny. <laughs> she is DTF. Wait, what is that? Wait, okay, millennial, throw it at me. What is that? DTF. Yeah, you can either, I mean, I the, the OG connotation was down, down to F, but uh, you could also, it could also be interchanged to desperate. <laughs> Dur- uh, desperate to F? Okay. But it's me. Oh. DTF is you know, down, down. I think it, honestly, it might've come from Jersey Shore. I think that's where I picked it up. Oh, that's too funny. DTF. Oh, <laughs> like, oh no, DTF. She's DTF. You know, anyway. So terrible. desperate, like you're desperate. I, you're just like super I, horny. Yeah, and just, Got it. For it. Okay. I'm gonna have to use oh, that anyway, next time with my right? husband. Yeah. Look at the equations behind her on the board. She needs some excitement. <laughs> she definitely yeah. does. That is so true. <laughs> Speaking of having things behind them, so Martinet's got this sign and it says dual cruel love. <laughs> What's that about? Dual cruel love. Dual, like dual, oh, yeah. dual, yeah. cruel love. He's some play or some Yeah, film? I, don't <laughs> I don't know. Dual cruel and it's dual like as in uh, on guard, you know. <laughs> Not like yeah. dual, you know, like double. Martinet is mentioning that the backers are braying about the idiotic. Uh, they're 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 kind of going back and forth with them wanting to have changes uh, in the script, and he's not having any of it. It's perfect the way it is in his head, and uh, and she's saying, "Hey, it's your play. Don't change a word if you don't want to." And she goes, "Stop worrying. Save your energy for us tomorrow." So they're going to get together tomorrow. And um, they obviously don't get to see each other very often. So this is like a special time for them. And then uh, Carl Valentine comes into his office. That's his uh, producer. Martinet just goes off on him as soon as he comes in, you know, about the the changes in the um, proposed script. And he's like, don't worry about that. That's why I get, that's what my job is. You should never have seen that. So obviously he purposely was shown that so that he knew that those changes could be made, but you know, don't worry about it. You know, he's they're kind of like throwing him off his game kind of thing. You know, this is all, each little thing that happens has been set up specifically by Krutioff. You know, he's playing him because yeah. he's a puppet master. He's playing him exactly like, you know, like a fiddle. He's just playing him exactly how he knows what's going to get his reaction that he uh, wants. Yeah. He has super blue eyes though, doesn't he, Martinet? They always have blue eyed guys on here. Yeah. They sure do. Especially <laughs> okay, DTF. Damn. <laughs> no, listen, especially when they're the baddies. Yeah. Yeah. It's the, like the last one we just we just did was, uh, well, not the last one we just did, but the last one I just edited, uh, Salah, uh, Salih. Yes. Yeah. His yes. his eyes are piercing. Okay. Yeah. When um, even Sam Elvo, yeah. when he was first on, his eyes are stunning. His, his first yeah. character was a baddie. Yeah. I mean, he, you know, later on. But yeah, still, yeah, yeah. No, his, it, his are blue too, I, super blue. And, and we're just programmed to like the bad guys, you know, like it's always. More are we? Like or are you? Well, that's true. I am. You're <laughs> the bad guy lover, not me. Yeah. I like the good guys. That's true. You like the black hot hats. I like the white hats. Yeah. <laughs> I like the little bald. There's got to be some yeah. redemption art. I did. I was nice. And I, uh, Jen, I sent, uh, um, Miranda, I sent Lexi, uh, some dirt porn. I sent her a couple of dirt pictures That's from uh, <laughs> Enter the Dragon with uh, um, yeah. Bruce Lee the other day. Oh, yeah. They just ended up, they just somehow got on my uh, Instagram feed and I was like, oh, I got to show her these. 
<laughs> so I sent him yeah. over. He looked young. Oh my goodness. Yeah, he was really young. Yeah. So I love his hair. Yeah, yeah, he did. <laughs> Does Marnie also design women's clothes? I think that's like the design, but that has nothing uh, to do. That's nothing to do with the play. The play? Yeah, none of those were in the play. Maybe he's just a fan. Or it could just, this is the playhouse. So I'm sure it's, it's kind of for anybody. Yeah. Anybody who's, you know, coming in and you know what I mean? It's not like it's just his place. It's the, at the theater. So, I mean, that could have been from the one before could be the one coming up, you know, that sort of thing. Yeah. It's kind of a cool compilation actually. Yeah. It's a cute little office for sure. Now we're at the theater and uh, Amanda's super excited. You know, she's like, there's just something about the smell of the theater. And <laughs> Lee's just like, yeah, stale air conditioning. <laughs> and uh, he, he points out Martinet to her on, on the screen. So they're splitting up and uh, Lee's taking, uh, trying to talk to Carl Valentine and he's pretending to be a reporter and then uh, Amanda's also pretending to be a reporter for uh, when she's saying the lines about your corruption is complete Schweinhund. She's saying you're you're a pig dog and um, in, in German. But in the, um, I would think it would be the opposite. In the script, it's spelled wrong. It's not spelled how it's spelled in uh, off Deutsch. But in the on my iPad, the actual closed captioning is spelled right. <laughs> You would think it would be the opposite, but no. Amanda's from Washington after five. Thank you. I knew it was after five. I couldn't think of the other one. Thank you. So yeah. So Amanda's pretending to be a journalist from Washington after five. And she's doing an interview of Tony Martinet and his play that's opening. So um, he's saying that he'll give her as much time as he needs. uh, She needs as long as he gets the cover. And she's like, oh, you know, she's like, I'm not (laughs) kind of like, I'm not making any promises, buddy. Especially since that magazine probably doesn't even exist. Or if it does, <laughs> they won't have ever heard of her. Yeah. He comes over and talks to her. And so then she goes off to interview him. And then then we cut to Lee and Valentine. Now, they're actually walking down on the, the WB, uh, the ranch. This is down in the mm-hmm. ranch where they had the Friends. And we'll see it too. The Friends um, oh, the fountain. fountain. Yeah, the fountain. Mm-hmm. And uh, Harry Harry Thornton's uh, apartment. Everything happens down on this little thing. Um, also, when uh, they're in um, with a lovely little affair, when she's walking down the street with uh, on her date with uh, Alan Chamberlain, that happens on the street too. So everything happens right on the street. Uh, also, when they are the Vanderhoosens, uh, in uh, Stemwinder 2, that's on the corner that they just um, pass by to. So wow. all that's, all between that's right that there. Amanda, between that and Amanda's street. I know. Just, you know, that's, that's a nucleus. It's a happening place. Thing. Yeah, it's a happening place. So Lee's pretending, you know, like I said, to be a journalist. And he's asking about the play. Stuff he doesn't really care about. <laughs> and then he's just trying to, he's recording him too, by the way. And he's talking about Martinet's play and what the backers want. And he's like, it's it's called show, it's not called show art. It's called show business. <laughs> and then Lee turns off the recording like, hey, it's off the record kind of thing. He's like, we haven't seen the bullshit in a while. You know, are you planning to bring them back? And he's very adamant. He's like, uh, absolutely not. I took a bath on the bullshit. The overhead was monstrous. The artists were temperamental and the red tape was simply endless. No, thank you. I will never do business again with the bullshit. (laughs) That's pretty much all he was doing. It was kind of, I think it was more of an establishing, establishing a relationship, see what he could get from him. He, I don't think he was uh, intending to get any, you know, didn't expect to get anything out of 
Valentine, mm-hmm. but just to kind of establish his cover, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. And to get like Amanda in with the one that they really needed to talk to. Mm-hmm. Right. But, yeah, easily Lee could have been, I always want to call him Nigel the fucking butler from the nanny. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, oh, Nigel. And even when I watched him again, I'm like, where the hell is his accent? But he doesn't even have an accent. So it he just, doesn't. It, he affected it. Anyway, anyway, it, like there's a reason why Amanda went with, was targeting right. him, right? She has some experience and she knows who he is and his work, his art. Right, right. Um, yeah, she's, yeah. she'll definitely get more out of him than she would have if she were doing the other one. So definitely. Right. Um, so she's, you know, kind of going through his, uh, timeline with him and she's like, so after the off, off Broadway production (laughs) institutions in 76, and he's like, Oh, how shall I put this? A period of intense introspection. And she's like, yeah, the audience for Neo absurdist theater kind of (laughs) dwindled. And he's kind of like, you're being a little too kind, you know, like, uh, he's saying he couldn't get arrested. You know, it just kind of. He, he lost favor of, of uh, uh, popularity at that time. So it's been uh, 10 years now. So he's been, now this is, his, you know, his comeback, right? And if this doesn't go well, then he's probably washed up for good, right? So yeah. it sets him up for what's to come, obviously. You know, if he was some successful playwright, he could tell them to go screw themselves and, and it, we wouldn't have this episode, right? But... He's obviously down on his luck. He hasn't been doing anything. And, and now this is his big break uh, to get back in the, the spotlight. That's unfortunate. <laughs> it doesn't go so well. And then he he's like, you know, neo absurdism. She goes, yeah, I read all of your plays. She was even in the production in College of Tiger Tracks. She was the wailing walrus. He goes, oh, well, you were perfect. And then they have the they share the line. She says, my favorite line is, I don't care what the king says. Pickle. And then they j- both jump in, pickle that herring. In the script, it's a little different. She says, I read all your plays. In fact, I was in the production of Tiger Tracks in college. I was the Wayland Walrus. He goes, yes, I can see it. You're perfect. And she says, I think my favorite line is, I don't care what the king says. I say pickle the herring. Marchand chimes in and to hell with it. That's And they, they laugh. They say it together and then they laugh. <laughs> I guess that's why I just don't get neo-absurdism. Yeah. <laughs> Not my thing. So he thinks quickly and he's like, you know, I think you understand. He goes, you know, we just lost the understudy for the female lead like two days before the play. And he goes, you'd be great for it. And she goes, oh, no, 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 no. You know, and he's like, no, just read a scene. And she's like, okay. Once again, Amanda King falls into <laughs> the middle of all the, the chaos for sure. Now we're, we're seeing Krutioff. He's actually on American soil. In fact, he's sitting on the very... <laughs> The very fountain. That what did you know he's in New York? Come on. <laughs> so they actually moved this fountain. Um, it used to be at a different location. Uh, and what? Yeah, it was in a different location. Yeah, I heard that. Yeah, on our tour they told us that. Yeah, it was wow. in a different location. But yeah, for this, they moved it after Friends. Probably because, probably because of Friends. I don't know, but... Uh, yeah. yeah, so he's sitting in the front of the fountain, which we all sat at. We have pictures of all of us, remember? I'm Yeah. Um, you could actually see his little Sasha, his little limo driver, who will uh, wreak havoc on Lee later. Uh, spoiler alert. Uh, and uh, in the background there. But then Carl comes up and they're talking. Like, he'd be a good poker player, this guy, <laughs> this character, because he's constantly watching people and seeing how they how they act and how they uh, what mannerisms they have and that sort of thing he'd be excellent poker player for sure and he's always you know taking notes and things like that 
So he, he asks uh, Valentine, he's like, do you always have your, your left hand in your pocket, Mr. Valentine? He's like, I, I don't know, I guess so, you know. <laughs> it's kind of weird thing to ask. Wow, would that be unnerving though? Like Valentine's probably already on edge, yeah. right? And then this guy who's like pretty pretty terrifying, like he knows what he's capable of, is like, I noticed this really peculiar habit that it sounds like you yourself don't even know. Like I would feel so overly scrutinized in that situation. Like, oh my God, I cannot slip up even one tiny minuscule amount because mm-hmm. he's... He, everything it's such a subtle way to like unnerve someone without having to resort to violence at all which makes him all right. the more just like devious scary <laughs> you saying that lexi reminds you know who clicked in my head is uh the baron who the lint picker he was a lint picker because that's how he disarmed people you know that's how he he made them feel uncomfortable yeah Yeah. and like finding the littlest flaw like oh you had lint you know and it's like it puts somebody like what the you know like now what what else is wrong with me you know it's kind of interesting this guy takes that to a whole new extreme though for sure Mm -hmm. yeah yeah that would be disconcerting and 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 i'm sure he purposely told him that for that for for another reason you know because he plays them so much yeah so he's saying he was 10 minutes late and he said oh i was cornered by a by a a reporter and he's like yeah just be careful it actually you make sure it is a reporter which his instincts are spot on again because obviously it's not a real reporter it's lee A spy. The spy. The spy to look out for. (laughs) The one. His his goons recognize him as soon as they see him in the pool from like 20 feet above the thing. Like, spoiler alert, you know? Oh, yeah. That's That's true. You're right. It's Lee's. That's it. It's Lee's. That's in you. And it's not even the, you know, Bruce, but, and of course, no one would think that it would be, but anyway, that was. Yeah. Khrushchev asked him what was Martinet's response. And he's like, it was just as you predicted. It was like he was an actor reading the script. Like, that's how much Khrushchev knows and how to play those people and how to get the exact response he wants out of them. You know, it's just, it's creepy. That's the spy world. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. It would have been kind of fun to participate in. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. Jen wants to be a brain bender. Maybe not all the devious stuff, a little bit, maybe a little bit of the devious stuff. I'd use it for good, not evil. Him asking questions tells us that Valentine really doesn't know what's gonna, what's to come at this point. He's just, he knows that Krutioff is playing this guy, but he doesn't know for what, like what's the, what's the final and what's the end game on this. He just knows he's, he's setting him up for something. And he's like, you know what happened with the curious cat, you know, kind of thing, like giving him a warning, like, don't don't ask what you don't want to know. Mm-hmm. And then he's telling him we'll do the coup de gras tomorrow with Mr. Martinet. He goes, oh, Valentine, make sure you wear a blue suit again. Why? You know, but it's very specific. He needs to be in a blue suit. I don't know why. I don't know if that actually has any reasons for anything, but it does with him. So Amanda's now now we're back at the theater. Amanda does have the part. And uh, she is the understudy. And he's saying, we might not need you, but just in case, you'll be the, you'll be great if, if, if we do need you. So now she's got to learn all these lines and such. And so they all leave and head out the, off the front of the stage. And she's heading out the back, uh, off the wing. As she's leaving, she hears somebody coming in with a little cart. And she kind of hides to see what's going on. 
and she sees Sasha. Remember him, which I mentioned earlier, he's the Kurtyov's driver and apparently script bringer as well. And he's got three boxes that he's putting in the locked cage. It's a little dramatic, but okay. let's lock these scripts down yeah i mean it's not like anybody's gonna go hunting for them but yeah i guess if they want to spring it on them we don't actually see them get distributed but i guess they want them locked up until then in case in case a a housewife pretending to be uh (laughs) an understudy goes snooping around so she goes immediately to the cage and uh sees that it's locked and then there's a toolbox an open toolbox how handy and grabs the little uh, ring of wires, I guess. And then she doesn't take even a second to open that sucker. Do you see the Lancer back there? That was my, that Lancer, um, the knight back there. That looks like my um, high school mascot. We were the Lancers. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Lakeshore Lancers. <laughs> so as she's locking this back up, Lee, Lee comes up on her. He's like, Amanda? She's like, oh, <laughs> she got caught. Luckily, it was just him. I was just going to say that. There's freaking barbed wire up there. I just noticed that. It's like they really did not want someone getting in there. We have one of those cages. We have a cage at our work. and But it just, the cage just goes all the way up to the ceiling, you know, and then it has a roof on it, a a fencing, you know. Yeah, that (laughs) barbed wire. Like, dude. Yeah. No wonder she didn't want to climb over. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> yeah, especially for a theater, you wouldn't have barbed wire up there. That's so weird. Who's going to get hurt? Yeah, I mean, it definitely looks like barbed wire. It could just be regular wire, but it looks like barbed wire. <laughs> Anyways, how did it go with Martinet? She's like, oh, he made me the understudy for the female lead. <laughs> and, she, and he's like, oh, oh, okay. Like, of course he did. Why wouldn't he? Right. And he goes, great, that's a great cover. He goes, is this a script? She goes, no, this is a revised script. It's dated tomorrow. So this one's red. The other one that we saw earlier was blue. That's how we're supposed to tell which one's which. Um, And she's saying there's an awful lot of changes. He never mentioned a rewrite. And he goes, well, let's look at the beginning. And then, of course, the first thing they see is the whole crystal dewdrops of dashed dreams, which was what Krutioff had put in the margins. So something's up and they're not sure what it is exactly. So they were heading back to the agency. But Sasha comes out of the other wing and he sees them. So he's got them. He knows they're together. He knows they're not who they're saying they are, which is not good. Yeah. And now we're at Amanda's house and we get to see the boys and Dottie, which is lovely. Mm-hmm. And they've then now turned her living room. They turn the couch around and and uh, and that's obviously for, for shooting purposes here. But and then uh, Dottie, I love Dottie at the end. She's at the end of the bar doing the mandu, mandu. What does mandu mean, Lex? Miss French? Um, I think it's like, like, dear God, isn't it? Like, mandu, like. Oh, God, or oh, okay. I don't know, let's look it up. That sounds right. It seems, I mean, that plays, that plays right, you know? Yeah, yeah, look it up. My God, my God, okay, my God, my God. Okay, okay, that makes sense. Is this the first episode that Jamie has glasses, and I miss it? Um, I'd have to, I'm not sure. I'd have to think about it. I'm not really sure. I can't remember if this is the first one. I think he has them in... I think it's le- late season three, but I think there's I think there's earlier than this one. Hmm. It just struck me when I saw him in this scene. Well, they are striking glasses. Yes, yes. <laughs> striking. Oh, and look. <laughs> they are yeah, quite large but... for his little face. Yeah, I know. Philip's looking very mature. 
horrible. He looks younger now with his beard than he does that wearing those yeah. you know, masses. <laughs> That's funny. Uh, I remember he didn't really like them either. Yeah, and the braces. The poor guy. He got the glasses and the braces. Ugh. <laughs> but look how handsome he is now. Yeah. And what a smart ass he is. <laughs> A lovable smartass, but a smartass nonetheless. But uh, Philip's looking, definitely looking more mature for sure. You know, he's oh, he's yeah. in that puberty, mm-hmm. <laughs> puberty stage. Yeah. He's taller. He's his voice is deeper. It's it's cute. So they even have the upside down artwork. You know, on the on the tree, the coat tree to turn it. So they're going back and forth of showing where. Paris is right side up and then it's, you know, in, in distress and that sort of thing. And I, I at least gathered that much from this. Yeah. <laughs> That's about it. Um, like subtle changes yes. that like completely distort the perception of what you're supposed to be seeing. And it's hard to pick up on it. Yeah. You're not like. If you're not trained to look for it, if you're not expecting it, it's just like, oh, that's kind of weird, but you're not, you have to, it's always like, um, it's like these Easter eggs, you know, in movies nowadays. Yeah. They put all these Easter eggs, like in the Marvel movies and things like that. You have to like watch one of those shows to show you where all the Easter eggs are, you know? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It reminded me, like, these type of plays remind me of Inception, like that movie. That's what I, I have not seen that. Because you have to keep track of each, like, little thing and, like, to, t- to tell, like, what's real and what's not real, what what it's trying to tell you by, like, this little, little tiny thing. So, yeah. The weird, the weird genre, for sure. Yeah. My cup of tea. Like, just give me, give me Beauty and the Beats on Broadway. That's where I see <laughs> That's your thing. <laughs> Just slap it in my face. Well, so they're trying to help her memorize her lines, which I don't know about Amanda, but Kate can memorize everybody's lines. So I don't think she needed really needed help on this. But Amanda probably did. So they're going through these with her. And uh, uh, Jamie's like having a hard time with the word cynic. She's like, cynic, sweetheart. He goes, I know. (laughs) Then Philip calls him a simp. (laughs) That's so mean. And she's like, Oh, it's funny. Wait, he called him a simp, S-I-M-P? Yeah, he called him a simp. That's so weird because <laughs> now nowadays if you call someone a simp, it's like they're, um, like they're, like, I don't know, supportive isn't the right word, but like, oh, they're being a simp. Like if a guy is doing that towards like a girl or something, or like they're really- in, Like I sympathetic, know, you mean? Right. It's like, it's got a little bit of a different connotation. Than I well, think. it has a sexual connotation, I think. Like they're empathetic. Because uh, to females or women, because they're attracted to them, right? And they they want to get in their pants. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I don't know. I'm not the slang expert, so I probably shouldn't be speaking. Well, <laughs> DTF over here saying. should be able to tell us. <laughs> yeah. <plus laughs> She's looking it up. Like, I can see her. Back, I can see her googling right now. Yeah. So. It's someone who does way too much for a person they like. So like, oh well, then maybe that tracks. Um, I bought her a car and a whole ass house, and 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 we're not even dating. And so his friends like, oh, you're a simp, you know, like just doing the most. Yeah. (laughs) Oh my god, an alternative, an alternative definition: a man who puts the hose before the bros. (laughs) (laughs) That's funny. Oh my god, that's funny. That's great. So he's one that thinks with his uh, other brain then. (laughs) That's a weird thing I think in this one he's referring to like simpleton, like a simpleton. 
I would think. Because he's saying he doesn't know what a, you know, cynic, the word cynic was. And he's like, you, you know, you simp, like you're simpleton. I That's how I get, got it. That's my 80s turn on it, I think. Yeah, that's, that's a lot. Oh, yeah. I don't remember that being a thing. I don't remember that being shortened. <laughs> yeah, I don't either. I don't remember that either. But this is, that's what I'm kind of thinking it is. But <laughs> what did it say in the script? Did it have this line? Maybe, maybe Philip was trying to like make it a thing like in Mean Girls, Gretchen trying to make fetch work and it never does. And maybe he was trying to make simp out of simpleton work and it just never gained any traction. Nope, it is. Okay. It's actually in the script. He's trying to start a, a trend. It's in the script. It is? Okay. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Yeah, she says, cynic, sweetie. And he goes, I know. And Philip says, simp. And she goes, boys. Hmm. Yeah. <laughs> we took that in a whole other direction. <laughs> yeah, we did. I didn't even think up that you said it. Oh, it took me off guard. Normally, this is all happening internally while I'm watching it. But I had to figure it out. So she's reading her line, you know, saying her line. She's like, do you really believe the promises of utopia? And he goes, I don't think so, but I could be wrong. She goes, you remind me of the dancing weasel. So in those... Two lines that she just said. She had utopia, like utopia now, and then she had the dancing weasel. <laughs> yep. Uh-huh. And then Dottie goes, Mondu, Mondu. She, she goes, Amanda, I don't understand this man in the shadows character that just sits at the end of the bar and says, Mondu, Mondu. She goes, well, mother, he is in the shadows, right? He is foreshadowing the fall of Paris to the Germans. He goes, this play is weird. She goes, sweetheart, it's called neo-absurdism. See, everything stands for something else. The whole play takes place in Paris Cafe, and that's the war or the world. And the French chanteuse is the free spirit of the French people, right? She goes, the free spirit of the French people does the can-can on the bar? She goes, that's an act of defiance, mother. She goes, whatever happened to musicals? She goes, your line? She goes, mon du, mon du. And then the boys take off. They're they're done. They've reached their limits. She goes, fellas. She goes, daddy goes, another act of defiance. She goes, mother. She goes, mon du. She goes, that, she goes you have two mon du. She goes, mon du, mon du. <laughs> that's funny i like the little quick little things that they do okay so this is cute where that little that little little security guy i say he's little he's a shorter stout guy and he's like we'll have yeah. he's all mysterious and he's like we'll have the the car at gate two <laughs> precisely three forty-seven p.m tomorrow the operation P- potomac plaza she she's like i like how you turn this into a full-blown security operation he goes well that's my job ma'am 24 hour guard besides it's uh only once a month so apparently she gets laid once a month <laughs> Poor thing. i know she's like the way you make this public life seems so very private she goes it is private <laughs> right walter and you don't have listen or have cameras or anything you oh no no ma'am he was like so so wholesome and um sweet about it he goes oh heck no (laughs) ma'am he's probably in the back going yeah right she thinks it's hilarious oh they would oh yeah they would okay i like her hair up uh, amanda's hair up in this it's so cute with the little side sweep up in the ponytail I do not like that they have matchy matchy shirts with the gingham like uh, shirts. What do you guys think? Yeah, I noticed that myself. I'm not a big fan of this. Um, The plaid just sort of exploded in the scene. Yeah, it was like, it's just a little too much. 
too matchy matchy. Like I'm with him. I'm with her. That's kind of like. <laughs> yeah. So they're pulling up uh, Carl Valentine's tax returns for '81, and back then, I mean, this is a lot of money, especially back then. Yeah. Although I'm surprised they did the sec- the Social Security number on there. We should do an e-verify on them. Yeah, right. <laughs> Wouldn't that be funny? That's a big no-no. That is a big no-no. So he's occupation. His occupation is producer. Filing sag- status is single. He's got one exemption, and his salaries and tips, etc., was one hundred seventy-three thousand nine forty-two. And then he had interest income of almost forty-two thousand dollars, and then dividends of twelve, almost thirteen thousand. And uh, he's like, if this is a bad year for him, like, I hate to see a good year. He obviously has done really well for himself. I guess getting your pockets lined by the Russians makes it pretty easy. So does this mean he's been always been working with the Russians? Or is it just that because this was 81 they're looking up, right? And why would they look up 81? Why wouldn't they look up 80? Three or eighty-four or eighty-five. I mean, the most recent ones. Kind of weird. I don't know. Maybe he's been high on taxes. He's laid on. <laughs> Maybe <laughs> she's getting ready. She's like, "Look, it's nearly ten o'clock. I gotta get." You're to actually rehearsal. gonna memorize these lines, huh? I've already memorized most of them. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Uh, about Act Two, Scene Two: The Chanteuse and the German Soldier. Oh yeah. You are the soul of decadence. Better than to be soulless. You see through me to that hollow place inside. Give me a. Don't Your opacity is transparent. Huh? I'll explain the subtext later. Ah. Well, perhaps that's why I drink. Another, maybe this one is the one to make me forget. Wine will make you forget. Huh? Yes. I have another in mind. No hangover either. That isn't your line. Who cares? Uh, we've got those embassy tapes ready, but I see you've got your hands full. Rehearsing. Yeah. It's rehearsing. Mm-hmm. Oh, oh, when is uh, opening night? <laughs> Joke. Oh, she does. Her special talent. So no, irritating. Crazy. You just want to punch her in the face and go, no, you sit out in the hall for another five right. minutes. <laughs> just wait a few minutes. <laughs> Oh, it's so irritating. And then she's like, oh, (laughs) they break apart. (laughs) The guilty looks on their faces. Oh, my. She's got quite the earrings on, too. Yeah. What in the world? So here's your 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 first sight of Ernie. Yeah, yay, Ernie. So they're going through trying to see uh, if they can put Carl Valentine and uh, Krutioff together. And uh, they do. He's like, there he is again. He goes, all right, Ernie, show us. And so they rewind it. He rewinds it and then shows them. So now they have proof positive that Carl Valentine is hanging out with Serge Krutioff, the puppet masters, right in their own backyard. So they know now he's in the, the in D.C. area. So now he's going to, Lee's saying he's going to stick with Valentine because he knows this is the way to, to get to Serge. And then he goes, thanks, Ernie, you're the best. And Ernie goes, I know, when <laughs> he leaves. He's got blue eyes, too. He is not attractive by any means, but he's got super blue eyes, too. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> he's He frightens me a little bit. Maybe it's a prerequisite for Scarecrow Mrs. Kate. Yeah, you have to have blue eyes, I guess. So then Mr. Uh, Tope is walking around with his brown jacket and his brown pants. They're awful. They are. Hopefully he doesn't have white socks on again with them, though. And if someone mashed up, like, let's say Rupert 
dude's face on or like head on that body, I would believe it. You would, you would, you would, you would totally so believe it's him. Oh, <laughs> yeah, I don't, yeah. I don't, I don't care for those either. He looks so blah. And Krutioff has blue eyes too. What the hell? All of them do. I don't know about Valentine. Yeah. I don't know. Valentine has brown. Oh, okay. All right. I I didn't pay attention to that one. Uh We're back at the park, you know, that that, uh, fountain again. And uh, Carl Valentine is is meeting up with Serge. He's in the car, though. And Lee's been following him around. And... Krutioff says he's created a precise psychological equation and as a result, Mr. Martinet will agree to do something completely out of character. He goes, but you said nobody would be hurt. He goes, Mr. Martinet has a special friend, a woman friend, will manipulate him and voila, he'll manipulate her. He goes, you're awfully certain about yourself, aren't you? He goes, totally. So when you get to the theater, this is what you say. And then he has a whole diatribe that he's got to have him say. He's wearing his blue suit, of course. And I mean, how does Lee just stands out? So I don't know how he wouldn't see him, but obviously he's not looking for him. So now we're back at the theater and the cast has just been given the new scripts, obviously, and nobody is happy. They hate the rewrite. Martinet is fuming about it. They're all, you can just hear everybody saying, this is terrible. What, what is going on? And uh, then Valentine shows up and he goes, what is this? And they head back into the office. So Carl's telling him the backers insisted on the changes. I've sunk a lot of money into this venture and I don't intend to lose it. He goes, if I don't agree to do this, this garbage, he goes, then they'll produce it without you. And Tony Martinet's last chance at a big comeback evaporates. He goes, this can't be happening. He goes, Carl, please, can't you talk to them? Beg them to reconsider. Can't you do something? And then, oh, he does have brown eyes. And then uh, I see why they like the blue though. (laughs) They don't play as well. He goes, no, but there's something that you can do. And he's like, what? So obviously this is him. We're not seeing him explain everything he's supposed to be doing, but he's, he's going to get him to manipulate his, his lover, his girlfriend, whatever you want to call her and uh, betray her just so he can. This is why I said, I think he's a bad guy. I don't consider him a good guy. He didn't go out and seek this but he also let it happen so yep. he didn't have the integrity to say no i won't do that i won't hurt the woman i love he, he's a true artist and art like a, a great artist he has to make sacrifices for their art i don't agree with it yeah I'm yeah no I, you're, right. you're right yep. you're right and yeah i don't agree with it either but so Lee comes in and Amanda then just walks quietly over, you know, just nonchalantly and goes over and sits right next to him. And she's explaining that revised scripts were waiting for them when they got there. And she said that uh, Tony nearly had a fit. Now in the script, she says Tony almost had a stroke when he saw it. Actually, when Amanda and Martinet marchand in the in the script, this scene wasn't filmed, but it's right before this section here, when they uh, get the scripts and everybody's walking around going, what the heck? Marchand says, look, here, the Chanteuse and the bartender are talking to the man in the shadows. How can they? How could they? I mean, he's not really there. Amanda says, maybe there's been a mistake. He goes, mistake? There is Macbeth's betrayal, Lear's madness, King Richard's treachery. Valentine enters the theater. Marchand leaps to meet him. Marchand continuing says, what is this? Why is this? He goes, let's talk in the office, Tony. And then they walk off. So Amanda, like, is more interacting with him at this point. And then Amanda's explaining to Lee, Tony and Carl just went into the office and now they're having, having it out. And Lee fills her in and says, Carl Valentine was just cheek to cheek, which in the script it says cheek to jowl in, in um, with 
Krutioff. And she's like, in Washington? He said, yeah. He goes, I guarantee you it is an unpleasant. Now it is the time for you to hit the bench. Remember what Billy said. She goes, hey, this is a good cover. This is a really good cover. He goes, now Krutioff will probably never come here. It's a good cover. And he's like, because mm, he can't argue with her. And now we're back at, with Tony and Carl. And he's saying, this is, you're asking me to commit treason. I won't do that. And uh, he's like, I can't. He goes, all right, Tony. You just follow your conscience right back to Equity Waiver Theater and your $10 an hour acting classes. You do what they want. You you get your play. Otherwise, they're going to be doing the revised script and no one's going to like that. So Valentine hands him an envelope and it's got the recorder in there. It's also got a pen that looks just like the one he has. But obviously this pen is uh, a little different than his. It's It has like a needle in it for her to him for him to get me. Yeah. So they've come out. Now they're on the stage, the two of them. And he's like, I'm delighted to announce that Tony's convinced me in uh, to go back to the original script. And everybody's happy. And the one guy throws the script up in the air and they're all like, yeah. But then Martinet looks like someone just kicked his puppy. So obviously he's not happy with it. And Lee and Amanda are seeing that too. For a playwright who just got his script back, Tony doesn't look very happy. And then you can hear Martinet say, take these out and burn them. So in the script, it's a little different when Amanda says, for a playwright who just got his script back, Tony doesn't look very happy. Lee then says, my guess is he just made a deal with the devil. The question is, what kind of a deal? And then they kind of split up again. She's going to stick with Martinet, follow him, and he's going to stick with Carl Valentine. And he's like, remember, she goes, be careful. So now they're all getting their scripts back, the blue ones. And then Amanda heads downstairs to the office area and she can hear Tony on the phone. So she's, of course, eavesdrops and listens. And he's making reservations, just confirming his reservations at a hotel and then heads out and and then she hides behind some clothes and then goes in and, and hits the redial button, which was fairly new back then, Lex. They didn't have that really growing up. We didn't have it. But around this time is when you started seeing it on the new newer really? phones. Yeah, they didn't have the redial button. <clears throat> you had to do that damn dial thing and go ring, 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 you know, and if you got it screwed up, you had to start all over. I struggle. On all the freaking Zoom meetings to get all the <laughs> Oh, I do started. too. If I had to use a rotary phone. Oh, oh no. yeah. It would be awful. I'd be, I'd be still writing letters, you know, <laughs> through the phone. If you're not calling me, you're getting the letter in response. <laughs> <laughs> it was kind of satisfying, though. Like, yeah, that. Turn it, like, <laughs> back. Turn it, back. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I always like to do the nines because the nines took forever to get over yeah. there, you know. Yeah, the ones were kind of, you know, eh. <laughs> Did you have to call 911 a lot as a child, Jen? Or? Uh, no, we didn't because we had rotary phones. <laughs> we just bled to death. The survival of the fittest. <laughs> yeah, right? Yeah. So Amanda hits the redial and then on the other end... It's the Potomac Plaza Hotel. Now she knows where he's going to be at four o'clock because he told the operator when he called that he would be checking in at four. Smart Amanda. So now we're at the Potomac Plaza Hotel. And oh my gosh, I just realized this. The car, as they're, they're, they're filming going up to the hotel, 
There's a car. Do you guys know, recognize the car? This is what happens when you, when you have to screen cap everything. You notice everything. No, what? No, I don't, I don't see it. I don't have it pulled up, so I don't know. At 2429? No, I don't have it. I don't even have the slightest clue. <laughs> wait, wait, wait. I want to try to guess. Okay, wait, go ahead. I'm not saying anything. I'm shutting up. The ones in the parking lot, right? The two yep. of them? Oh, wait, I'm looking at the wrong thing. I'm looking at the other side. Just a second. I just see like a gray and a red car. Yep. That must be way down in the details of something. Look at the license plate. <laughs> Of the, of the silver car. Oh, I can't quite make it out. Uncle Wiggly's birthday, 115. Oh. That's the car that they used in Dead Men Leave No Trails when he hits Amanda mm. in the back and she writes down the, the vehicle oh, number. Really? It's UWB 115. Oh. And I'm pretty sure that's the same damn car. Yeah. <laughs> no, that's not the same car. It's okay. the same license plate. Okay. Though. It's definitely the same. It's like. Yeah. Yeah, I think you're right because the other car was a little older. It's like a darker gray, and I think yeah. it was a. Uh, it was sharper edges yeah. on the back too. Yeah. Yeah. But Anyways, same license plate. Yep. <laughs> U- UWB one one five. Later on, they use the LBK one one nine two license plate for the limo of the bad guys, and it's another one that they use oh in in another episode. So. They totally use them. They used Amanda's uh, license plate one time for somebody else's vehicle. <laughs> it was funny. Like, come on, how would we not notice that one? Okay, so. Yeah, how will we not notice? Yeah, I'm sure you totally noticed it. <laughs> now we're in the hotel and Amanda's in the lobby on the payphone and she's she's arguing with Francine. She's like trying to get Lee. She's like, are you sure he hasn't been in? He hasn't checked his messages. She's like, all right, well, when he does, would you tell him I'm at the Potomac Plaza Hotel and ask him to meet me here as soon as he can? She goes, okay, okay. She goes, thank you very much. And then I'm surprised she doesn't go, oh, how cozy, you know, make some comment like that. She's like, oh, well, hello. He goes, what are you doing here? She goes, well, you know, if you ever picked up your messages he goes i've been busy following valentine he goes he's in room a room on the fourth floor you were supposed to stay with martinet she goes i am he's going to be here any minute and then all of a sudden lee sees him and he pulls her over and to hide her because he would definitely recognize amanda so he's got the the rose that he had on his desk when amanda was in there looking so he's got that with him and then they sneak up trying to determine where he's at. He he goes the door right before the door comes. He goes to turn like you stay here. And she's like, you'll need backup and pushes him in. And then we've got Walter and some other dude and they're frisking the guy, Martinate and everything. So uh, making sure that he doesn't have anything that would hurt her. And then he pulls out the tape recorder and play, plays the music and he goes oh her favorite which is kind of creepy that the guy would know that but and then pulls out yeah. the pen and sees it's just a pen lets him go in and he says they'll bring her up in a minute so she's definitely very very top secret person they can't just let anybody uh be around her can you imagine living like that that would suck yeah that'd be bummer i think walter has a crush on her <laughs> oh i i can see that yeah he wants to enter the room with the roses Ew. music <laughs> Well, he's a safer bet for her. That's for damn sure. Yeah. <laughs> so Lena and Amanda get on the floor. They see that Martinet is going into the hotel room 
And then they go around the side because Lee wants to get in and be able to see across. So they go all the way on the other side of the hotel to get across from them. Then he knocks on the door and she's like, yeah, that's long enough. And like someone's going to be able to answer the door that quickly. And then he picks his way into the room. Luckily, it's an empty room. And they have a perfect spot. They can see exactly how how convenient. Um, They can see right across uh, uh, over to their Martinet's room. So he's got his camera. It's a regular size camera too. And then Van Clausen comes in and says, hey, sailor, (laughs) new in town? He goes, no, I've docked here before. (laughs) She goes, I remember you have that... Fun, that tattoo that's so fun to find. <laughs> they definitely seem like they're a couple. I mean, it's not just like a, you know, slam, bam, thank you, ma'am kind of thing. And then uh, we see him kissing and then you see Amanda and Lee watching him. And he's like, it's the seamy side of secret agent work. Just be glad we're not hiding under the bed. And she just keeps looking and he's like, well, it happens. Like he had to uh, in Ship of Spies, <laughs> the newlyweds. So she uh, heads in to get a little more comfortable I guess is how you say it and they're still watching him he takes the little water capsule that holds the water for the rose and drops a few drops into her glass and then pours champagne in there so he's definitely not a good guy Jen this is a bad thing this is like a roofie type thing this is how I say he's a bad man oh I know but he's not as bad as you've seen yeah there's worse people But you agree he should go to jail, right? Like he's he's done something bad and needs to pay for his crimes. Yeah, yeah. I mean, even Amanda at the end takes sympathy on him a little bit. She hopes he'll get help. Yeah, yeah. I mean, but I agree he should be drugging women. Okay. Yeah. Okay. All right. Good. (laughs) I'm glad you feel that way, especially since you have two daughters. (laughs) Yeah, that's a bad thing. They are taking pictures, but then Lee realizes somebody's watching them from the roof. And that's not a good thing. Then they hear somebody coming at the door, knocking at the door. So (laughs) there's only one way they can go out of here. (laughs) And that's, luckily there's a pool below them. And so they jump. Now, it's funny because Amanda's purse uh, goes from one side to the other, uh, depending on the filming that they're doing here. So uh, when she jumps, it's on her left side when she, uh, when she's on the edge. And then it's, kind of right before she jumps it kind of switches places she's always got to have a purse <laughs> that would have been fun as as a stunt person i'm sure to jump in there yeah i'd like far. to have done that <laughs> i've always thought about jumping off balconies into pools and someone actually got to do it oh my gosh when you, you guys are did you ever think about that when you're on vacation yeah pool down absolutely. there yeah. No, I did not. Like people's like roof lines. I'm like, wow, that would be like the coolest. Like you know, if, if the pool is deep enough. I'm yeah, like, you gotta yeah, make sure the pool is deep enough. Yeah. Don't do that at my house, please. <laughs> Lex. No, 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 no doing no, that. Way too far away. <laughs> <laughs> but, but from your bedroom balcony, we could get a nice zip line set up. You know, right. It goes to one of the bridges, and then you just drop down, and at point, you just you just have the side right yeah. there. Yeah. Dip into the hot tub first and then dip right and then jump into the pool. Yeah. <laughs> okay, don't do that either. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I won't set up an unauthorized line if you insist. That's so, that, oh my god, that'd be so funny. The police were called. Uh there's a woman yeah. dangling from a zip line. <laughs> 
<laughs> That's funny. Uh, so they get out, but then uh, Carl Carl Valentine and Krutioff see them, and he's like, oh, that's the reporter. He goes, that's not a reporter. That's Lee Stetson, spy. Yeah. Spy aficionado. <laughs> they get out, but, oh, it's not Sasha. I was thinking it was Sasha. It's Misha is the, my bad. It was Misha is the, the big goon that's driving his limo. So they get in their car and they take off, but uh, unfortunately Misha is following them and takes off after them. In the limo, which is not good. And the limo actually does have the LBK 192 on it, which is funny. And now we're at the agency and Billy is sitting at his desk and and Lee's on the phone with him. And he's explaining that there was a ton of muscle there for this tryst. And uh, he goes, what were they there for? He goes, to help set the mood. (laughs) He goes, we saw Martinet drug the woman too. I'm telling you, something is going down. And just as he says that, a limo Misha is driving pulls up right in front of Amanda's house. This is not good. Who's this woman that walks into Billy's office and leaves a file? Like she's got the darkest glasses on. <laughs> Who is that? <laughs> I've never seen her. I don't think I remember seeing her before. Billy's saying we cannot afford to tip our hand to Krutioff. He goes, all right, agreed, agreed. He goes, listen, could you send Francine to the Potomac Plaza to do her hooker number? He looks good wet, I have to say. Sorry, I don't want to be all lusty, but. And then have her do low profile surveillance. And he's like, you got it. And he says, uh, as soon as Amanda gets changed, get back here with those photos so we can ID the, the woman. And so Misha somehow gets a hold of Lee before uh, Amanda even gets out there because he's knocked out now in the in the limo. Um, we'll see in a second. But now we're back at Martinet's, uh hotel room and he's knocked out his lover the woman he supposedly loves i assume he loves they seem like they are and pulls out his pen and he's got the the injection ready and then the phone rings so he wasn't hesitating there jen that's my point he was not hesitating he was about to do it they interrupted him so i don't know maybe he would have stopped but i don't think he was he didn't seem like he was going to but just then yeah carl calls him and says hey you know i'm sure you're having second thoughts and it's like no he would have been done dude if you wouldn't have called him but uh, he's saying, just rest assured, if you don't do this, neither one of you will come out of this alive. So he's threatening to kill him. So now at this point, now he's got his life threatened. Now you could argue, oh, it's because he was forced to. But all those, he wouldn't have gotten to this point if he would have had some integrity, is my point. Not to beat a dead horse, but that's all I'm saying. Krutioff just looks at him like, good job, little puppet man. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like he's just playing him. He's playing Carl just like he's playing Martinet. So Martinet goes over, he has the tape player, he plays a little bit of audience noise, you know, like clapping and things. And he he gives her the injection and then makes her believe that she's at her symposium where she's talking and she's supposed to give all this information and he's recording it so he can get the information and give it to the Russians, which I highly doubt that she would be talking in a group like that and telling all the details. You know, she might give like a overview, but not like all the details. So I don't know how much they would gain off that. But he says, welcome to the Strategic yeah. Defense Initiative Task Force Review. I'll turn this meeting over to Dr. Von Clausen, who will give us a summary of the project to date. And then she hears that and kind of just goes with it. She has it all in her head, I guess. And then we see the little kids running by. Hi, Mrs. King. <laughs> um, she has red flowers all through her front yard. I would think they would be yellow, but they're all red. And then Misha pretends that he's lost and she's, of course, helpful. And she grabs his map and there's his gun. So, but notice how Kate has her hands like clasped together already for him to put him because she knows he's going to cuff her in the front. 
that. Yeah, she does that every She's once in a while. She's trying to make it, you know, <laughs> trying to make it easy for him. So he cuffs her in the front, which that means he's 7%. <laughs> he's 7% of the bad guys that don't. So he shoves her into the back and she slams into Lee, who's totally unconscious. His hair's dry, though, if that's a nice consolation. Yeah. <laughs> There's his car sitting empty. And now it's nighttime. And so they've been driving for a while. And how did he just like has her sprawl all over the place? Like what else did he do to her when she was unconscious? Does anybody else feel yeah, a little no. creeped out? Yeah, that was so great. It totally does not look right. And then he just like kisses her on the mouth. Yeah. It's like, you know what? You've already violated her so much. Yes. Yes. Leave her alone. Thank you. Ugh. Yeah, don't pretend like you love her now, dude. Ugh. Yeah. And the thing is, is he's not kissing her for her. He's doing it for him to make himself feel better. And that makes it even worse. But that's a good point, too. He's done the dirty deed. It seems both both dirty deeds and uh now he's got the tape recorder this is smart of him to do finally he gets some brains but he saves it so that it's on his answering machine and has it but they won't have it and he has it somewhere hidden from them so they won't have access to it until his play's over which keeps her alive i guess and keeps him alive for the time being but it's it's only for him to gain assurance that his play is going to be shown it's so he's always exactly. he's still he looking out for himself it. yeah he's still looking out yeah. for himself only it's a fringe benefit when like the main thing that he's concerned about is his play yes. getting his reputation back on track and right. his career on track and it's like oh also my girlfriend's gonna live like, yeah that's pretty cool too yeah. <laughs> i can screw her again you know like yay yay me yeah so awful. Oh, there was a cute scene. I do want to point this out. There was a cute scene that we didn't get to see. So this is when they were in the lobby. Uh, Ali and Amanda were in the mm-hmm. lobby. And, you know, she's saying, oh, he'll be here at four. And then he sees Martinet. And then he pulls her over to the side and kind of gets her out of the way so Martinet won't see her. Well, it says, Lee reacts to something across the lobby, suddenly puts his arm around Amanda and holds her close to him, concealing both their faces. In the background, we see Tony Marchand heading across the lobby toward the elevators, which he enters. Lee lets go of Amanda. He said, that was Marchand. He just got into an elevator. She goes, oh, I was hoping that was your way of saying good job. He crosses to watch the elevator and then the doors close a beat. And then we hear Lee just a voiceover say, good job. And then she waits a suitable beat. And then um, I'll try to keep it up. <laughs> it's kind of funny. Oh like, oh, I thought you hugged me because <laughs> I did such a good job. Mm-hmm. Okay, so here's another scene that wasn't filmed. So this is right after they got out of the pool. And uh, mm-hmm. he he talks to Billy on the phone. And then Lou's intercut as Lee hangs up. Amanda climbs into the car, sneezes. Lee says, you're miserable. She goes, the truth? Lee nods. Yes, aren't you? He goes, yep, look, I'll swing by your house. You can get some dry clothes and change at my place. So we don't get to see that in the in the film thing. Oh, and then when she goes to, to the car, she actually goes to Lee's car and approaches it and sees that it's empty. And she's already changed her clothes. And uh, as she reaches into the car and realizes it's empty, she slows down immediately on her guard. She says, Lee, glancing around. Before she can react, Misha steps out from some cover, a gun partially concealed in his hand. 
Misha says, one word and you're dead. Move. And he directs her down the street, casually falls in beside her. We see the limo a short distance away. Hands cuffed behind her, Amanda is shoved roughly into the limo. Lee is slumped on the seat, dazed and, and cuffed. So he actually, in the script, he does it behind her, but in the actual film version, it's in front of her. So he's got the recording going on to his voicemail system. And now Carl is having his own come to Jesus moment. He's like thinking, you know, like, why did I do this? I shouldn't have done this. He goes, this will assuage your guilt. And he gives him a bunch of money in an envelope. And he goes, call it a bonus. I know you want one. Literally, he probably knows that he wants one. He can read his mind on things, it seems. He goes, no time for quibbling. And then like shoves it. And and Carl's being all like, "Mm, I don't want it. And then he's like, oh, fine. (laughs) He takes it because, you know. Right. It's money. And he goes, that will be Mr. Martinet. And so Krutioff leaves because he's not, doesn't want to be seen. And now Carl opens the door. He goes, it's, it's over. He goes, can I have the tape? And he goes, this tape? And he plays a little bit of it. You can hear her talking. And then he says, the rest is erased. He goes, Tony, you will, will you be serious if you don't come through? They're going to kill you. He goes, I waited 10 years to get my play produced. And I have to betray the woman I love for it. I know what that makes me. Well, good, because you are a bastard. Uh, When I know that Maria is safe and when the curtain comes down at the end of opening night tomorrow, then you get the tape. Well, I mean, it worked, but he's lucky they didn't blow his brains out right there. (laughs) (laughs) So now Lee's finally waking up. It's definitely nighttime. So they've been driving around for a long time and she helps him to sit up. And he said they hit him with a hypo, um, something really potent. And uh, she's got her hands cuffed, but she still has a moment to rub on his head. (laughs) And she says that she thinks they're headed toward the Blue Ridge. He goes, we better get out of here before we reach the Atlantic, which the directions aren't even possible how they're saying it. So they kind of botched that one up a little bit. And she says, do you have a a half rate? He goes, a lockpick? She goes, yeah, half rate. He goes, yeah, I've got double diamond in my collar stay. He goes, it isn't going to do any good. These things are so tight. My hands are dead. So then she goes, we're lucky we got the the bad guys with 7%. And she got that thing off pretty quick. He goes, Leatherneck's going to move you all the way up to safe cracking. She goes, yeah, what's he going to do to you? He goes, I'd settle for Grand Theft Auto. She gets him out as well. And then she gets his other side off. And now they're trying to be quiet so that Misha doesn't catch on to what they're doing back there that they've gotten loose. She takes care of his other cuff and lee's looking around and he finds a a corkscrew he goes this will have to do she goes this is a car not a bottle of wine so he's working his way to get them out of the car because it's locked obviously from the front driver's side and they're still driving but now the car is going to be coming to a stop he's taking him out in the woods he's going to kill him you guys Oh, yeah. He's got plans. And as the car slows down, they jump out. And then Misha goes to get him out of there. He's going to shoot him. (laughs) And the car's empty. And the back door looks like someone, some dog just ate the thing. (laughs) (laughs) And then Lee comes out behind him and uh, gives him a sucker punch and then kicks him. And he loses his gun. But now Misha's pretty big guy. (laughs) And he goes to hit him and he hits the car instead. Lee gets some good punches in there. But then Misha's got this black, I don't know. I can't remember. They had it. Paul Barnes had one too like that. It was like a baton type thing. Yeah, it looks like it hurts. Oh, it does, doesn't it? When he gets hit in the arm, he definitely is feeling it. (laughs) Yeah, I don't know what that is. I don't know what you call that thing, but it's definitely a, a major weapon. And he's just swinging that thing at him. And Lee gets hit in the arm with it. 
and and falls down, but he gets back up pretty quick. And then Amanda sees that Lee needs some help to get that that weapon out of his hand. So she grabs a a branch and just starts whacking him with it to knock the thing out of his hand. And that's enough to for Lee to get the the upper hand on him. Thank goodness, and knocks him out. He's a big fella. And then she runs over and says, "Are oh, you right?" And he says, "Yeah." And she helps him up and kind of holds him. Poor guy. His arm looks like it hurts. And then they have a nice little quiet moment, and then they hug. Okay, but the script, the script, this is where the fun part comes in. Mana says, sorry, I get let you get so close, but the rifle just fell. So apparently the guy had a rifle. I can't remember. Stumbling on the edge of the cliff, Misha sees his opening. One more swipe with the tool then. Uh, She brings a fallen tree limb down across Misha's head. He crumples, KO'd as... Lee kneels to assure himself that Misha will survive. Then he stands, looks down to the camera, feeling vertigo. Sorry I let you get so close, but the rifle just fell. Lee shakes his head to say, don't worry about it. His arm, his arm going around her. They turn to each other. He goes, but you came through. You always do. I wasn't even worried. Amanda's arms close on him. Why are you shaking? She asks him. Arms close on her. I was terrified. That's a different thing. She goes, you've never been terrified of a thing in your life. He says, yes, I have. I still am. Face inches from his. She says, and I know what it is. You're terrified of being shown up. That's why you didn't don't like it when I learned to pick locks or study up on the KGB. It's ego. He goes, it's this. They kiss deeply and long, not as part of co- a cover, but for the first time as themselves. Camera pulls back uh, to frame them on the edge of the cliff in their embrace. Bound chicka bow wow. I thought that was sweet. So that's when they had their first kiss in the script. Hmm. Yeah. First kiss in this episode, though. Yes. Yes. Okay. But I mean, this in the script, they, that's where they have their first kiss rather than later on. Yeah. So it was a little different instead of just a sweet hug right here. Mm-hmm. that we got to actually see yeah but it's more impactful i think that finally happens at the end yeah, yeah. for sure for sure yeah. boy francine just goes from tangerine to cherry pie here <laughs> with this very revealing dress <laughs> and the makeup yeah. with the blue eyeshadow and the hair pulled back it's it's pretty intense but she's got a smoking body man she's super yeah. thin in it it's like a velour it looks kind of yeah it does yeah i guess with it's, shoulder pads don't forget yeah, the shoulder yeah pads. don't forget the shoulder <laughs> yeah what outfit could be finished without uh, shoulder pads in the 80s jen <laughs> She said the last thing they wanted to do was talk. And she says, anyways, the woman left the hotel this morning at 6.05. She seemed perfectly fine. He goes, where'd she go? She goes, an apartment at the Watergate. The lease is in the name of Jones. And Amanda goes, original. So they're looking at the pictures that they got. And uh, she said, you know, that all they can get from from um, Misha is that he's Krutyov's chauffeur. And they, they have to get an ID on the woman. Francine says, why don't we bring the woman in? He goes, I can't drag people in without cause. He goes, oh, come on. Krutioff will fill that bill. He goes, agreed, but we have to know more before we do. And that way we're smart and tough at the same time. So now Lee's taking Amanda to go see Ernie the camera. So we get to see him twice now, Jen. And uh, so she's never, me- she's never met him. And uh, so now he's going through trying to identify uh, Van Clausen. And he's like, nope, nope, nope. And she's like, how does he do that? He goes, it's a special talent. We're lucky to have him. <laughs> I wish I actually had that talent. I know. Isn't that pretty cool? <laughs> That's pretty and cool. And I don't. <laughs> and he's like, there she is. And they're like, how how many frames? He, and then he knows 17. Like, 
So then they go back and then they can see it's Maria Van Clausen. And he's like, yeah, I'd say it's a perfect match. Anything else? She's a director of laser research for the Strategic Defense Initiative. And Amanda says, Star Wars? Which is what they called it back then. And he goes, Star Wars? No, we haven't got it. <laughs> she, He thought she wanted to watch Star Wars. No, I don't think so, dude. They're kind of busy. And she's like, uh-huh. So now we're at the play opening and uh, the boys are there. They don't look super excited. <laughs> and I love... I love this line from Philip. It's such a Philip line because he's, you know, into sports and everything. He's like, Grandma, Mom's not even in the first string. <laughs> As if, you know, that's how it works. It's funny. She goes, honey, she's an understudy. An understudy is someone who takes over if the actor gets sick. It's very important. He goes, this is going to be boring if someone doesn't get sick. <laughs> <laughs> Puke, gosh darn it. <laughs> yeah. Come on, somebody get sick. So... Krutioff and uh, his goons are at at the play in the audience as well. So that's not a good thing. (laughs) And then the play opens. They all seem super excited about it. It's not a really fancy stage, that's for sure. And now now we're back at uh, the agency. And uh, thank goodness Francine's uh, changed her clothes. She's no longer the happy hooker, which is good. And uh, they're explaining to Miss Von Clausen that she uh, was drugged. By the person that she trusted most. That's not a good thing. So she's feeling totally bereft, I'm sure, because one, she had some creepy guy taking advantage of her. And the person she thought, you know, she loved, obviously loved his play more, which is, you know, sad. He gave you a powerful new psychotropic drug. The Russians are calling the deja vu drug. I'm afraid you've been compromised, Dr. Von Clausen. She goes, I can't believe Tony would do this. And Amanda's trying to be helpful. She's like, he was probably pushed pretty hard. And then um, Walter's like, you know, we checked him. We 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 searched him carefully. He goes, all you need is one thousandth of a gram of that stuff. He goes, let's pers- assume we have a level nine security breach. Sound the alert, Francine. So they want, he wants Lee and Amanda to round up Martinet and Valentine. And then Amanda goes over and says, he probably had no control over this, Maria. She's trying to make her feel better, as only Amanda can. <laughs> and now we're back at the play and the boys look like they would rather be asleep right now in bed and not watching this. <laughs> Corruption is complete fine hound. And then she throws a drink at us in his face. Mondu, mondu. <laughs> so now Lee and Amanda um, cross over uh, the audience and then Krutioff sees them. So then he heads backstage as well. And then now we've got Valentine backstage. We've got Martinet backstage. And now we've got Krutioff backstage. And Martinet is just in the wings watching, keeping an eye on things. And then Lee and Amanda come up to him and Lee shows his ID and he's like, uh, you know, we just finished talking to Dr. Von Clausen. He goes, you are a good actor. I can always tell. So Amanda's like, Tony, you got to help us. He goes, I don't know how I got into this. They said they'd kill her if I didn't. Yeah, after you got too far into it, dude. Now he's like blaming, oh, they're going to, they were going to kill her. I had to do it. (laughs) Now, Krutioff is in the back there. He's not getting involved, but he's, it's like he can only manipulate through other people. You know what I mean? He doesn't want to get his hands dirty. So they're like, you have to tell us who your contact is, even though they already know who it is. And he's like, it's Valentine. I'm supposed to give him the, uh, the tape to him after the play is over. He goes, after the play, he goes, I recorded the information, but I wouldn't give him it to him until after Maria was safe. And the curtain came up on the opening night. And then Amanda asks where the tape is. And he goes, it's in, on stage on the tobacco tin uh, on the bar. And so Lee's like, let's bring down the curtain. He goes, not in the middle of the play, because that's the most important thing to him. And then he sees Valentine. So then Martinet goes after Valentine. 
Lee goes after them and tells Amanda to, to keep an eye on, on the stage. Kurtioff then goes around the other side. And so he's trying to get to the tin. He wants that. And Lee shoots one of Kurtioff's men. And that, so the audience hears the, the gunshot uh, off stage, obviously. And Amanda sees that Krutioff's come out. So she runs on stage with her purse, of course. She always has to have a purse. <laughs> she goes, stop, madman. He's the Gestapo. Gestapo. <laughs> Gestapo. And uh, so then the they don't know what to do. They recognize her, but they don't know who this guy is. And they're like, he's got a gun. And it's like, what the heck is this? He feels he has to say this is a real gun. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not acting. This is a real <laughs> the boys are all excited because now there's some action going on. There's fighting. Lee just punched him out. How do they not recognize Lee? I mean, they've seen him so many times. They saw him in the gym and now they see him here. Like, how many times do they have to see him before they recognize him as the guy who saves everything all the time? It's kind of funny. A few times. Yeah. The actor, the soldier, the, the Nazi soldier. Uh, doesn't know what to do so he grabs Amanda and they start dancing and she's just kind of like what the heck am I doing it's kind of funny Philip liked it <laughs> yeah oh they love it and Amanda's just twirling around the the curtains come come closed and then they they're pulled into the bowing at the end of the play and Amanda's like oh okay and she hands them I like how she slips out the uh, cassette in one hand and then slips it into Lee's hand in another. <laughs> I feel like the craziest thing about this play is that without even intending to, it it's probably the most surreal play ever because it completely shatters the fourth wall. <laughs> totally like, did. Like people are coming in and like they're trying to play it off like it's part of the show, but it's not. And so the audience is just like, what does this mean? What does this mean? And, and they probably like, all figure out different things for yeah. what it means. And, it, and then they're totally yeah. satisfied with it. Like, mm-hmm. oh, yeah, that was totally how it was supposed to be <laughs> because exactly. it is so absurd. Yep. That's yeah, too funny. It would be interesting funny. to hear people's conversations yeah. interpretation. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Exactly. <laughs> so that's the end. And then we have the tag. And I think I'll go with the script one first so that we end on the nice one. <laughs> not okay. that this wasn't, you know, it was fine. It's just not the, you know. Actually, going back to that last scene in the script is a little different. So Amanda walks out on the stage, leaving the actress open mouth. And Amanda sweeps onto the stage she goes, you are both wrong. The actors look at Amanda confused, but she forges ahead. She goes, but then you are both right. <laughs> Reacting to Amanda, the, the boys light up and says, Grandma, somebody got sick. <laughs> and Dottie goes, isn't that wonderful? <laughs> totally do- a Dottie thing to say. Oh, at the end, when they're on stage behind the curtain, Amanda finds the tape in the tobacco tin, hands it to Lee. He flips it jauntily. He says, nice performance, a bit improvisational, but on the whole, brilliant. And then the boys say, that was really cool. Jamie says, yeah, I didn't get it, but it wasn't bad. Dottie has her eye on Krutioff, still scribbling. So in the script, he's sitting at, uh, in the audience. Dottie has her eye on Krutioff, still scribbling in his notebook. She takes him for a reviewer and leans over. It was a marvelous play. And that Chantus, do you believe she was just an understudy? What was her name? Looking at the program, A-M-A-N. And then, but Krutioff has already slipped into the crowd. And then that's how it, how that, that act ends. And then we get into the tag, which Amanda says, you know, Tony is going to get some kind of therapy before they try him. And he says, sure, Krutioff really managed to mess up his mind. 
and their eyes meet for a moment, but they can't endure the contact. They go on, filing, keeping busy. Lee's continuing. He says, he's probably back in the Kremlin by now, shrinking the commissars. They brush again, each one reaching for the other. Lee says, hold still. She says, wait a second. And they're in each other's arms. Lee says, we've got a lot of new things to talk about. And Amanda says, a lot of new things to do. And Lee says, but we also have a lot to talk about, to decide to. And Amanda says, we have time. In fact, we're doing this backwards, you know? And she says, most people jump on each other and do the getting to know you part later. We've been getting to know each other for three whole long years. Lee says, I have a feeling there's a lot more I don't know, but I'm sure going to enjoy finding out. And Amanda says, I'll give you your first lesson. If I can ever hold you still long enough, Lee Stetson. And he says, am I hard to pin down? And she says, where are the, listen, she goes, uh, he goes, am I that hard to pin down? And she says, where are those handcuffs? And they're about to kiss. And then you hear off screen, you hear uh, Billy say, is Lee in the cube bureau? And Francine says, I think so. Lee is about to break the clinch, but Amanda reaches over and locks the door. Amanda locks the door. Oh, and then, not a king of the boots. No way. I don't believe this for a second. <laughs> and then uh, the, in the hallway, we see Billy as is at the door. Francine continuing toward the stairs. Billy knocks. No answer. Billy then says, Lee, Amanda. Billy knocks again, shrugs and gives up. And then we freeze frame and fade out. <laughs> So it's a little different and more talking than yeah. than the kissing. So the kissing we get, obviously, in this part, which is a lot better. Yeah. Yeah. So <laughs> what actually we get to see is them walking up toward the Cubero door and then her saying about, you know, will he get help? And he says, yeah. And then Lee looks very kind of hesitant, like he's, you know, not sure how to proceed. And he kind of shuts the door kind of slowly and he goes, Amanda. Yeah. You know, you and I do have a lot to talk about. Yeah? Yeah. We have been getting to know each other for what? Uh, three three years. years now. Mm-hmm. And I think there's a lot about you that I don't know. I'm sure going to enjoy trying to find out. Is Lee in the cube bureau? Yeah, I think so. Uh-uh. Lee? Amanda? No, not this time. Now, when I first saw his tie, it looks like little lips. I know it's not because they're like, it looks like little sailboats or something like that looks like little sailboats. But if you look at it really quick, it looks like little red lips, yeah. which I thought was really uh, funny. It was really funny because this is their first real kiss, you know? <laughs> it was kind of funny that they would have him wearing a tie that has little lips on it. <laughs> little smooch marks. Yeah, little smooch marks, you know? But it's not. It's They're like just little geometric, like little shapes that look like sailboats, I think, unfortunately. But in my head, I'm going to just make it seem like little uh, kisses. They really do. I do like her in that mm-hmm. yellow. She looks good in that yellow yeah, dress. Yeah. It's really cute. After pastel. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's really cute. It's a very soft canary, like a soft yellow. Very pretty. Yeah. On her, it looks I good. Used to look very young and yeah, wave. fresh. 
Yeah, fresh. Okay. Yeah. So then he's kind of shy now, and then she puts her hands up on his on his chest and kind of pulls him in, and then they just smile at each other and kind of chuckle a little bit, and then they kiss. Finally, just quick, Finally. quick, brief one, and then they pull back, and then they're like, "Yeah, that was good. I like that," and they go back at it again, and then they pause and fade out. Aww. It's good that she kind of gives him permission by kind of putting her hands up on his yeah. chest, kind of. It's okay, you know, like... We're, we're in this together. You, yeah, like, we're I in this together. Too. Yeah. Least Stetson, Stetson, the consent king, waiting to make sure... <laughs> Unlike some people, welcome. Tony Martinet. But, yeah, yeah I, think, I think it's good that she shows she's interested, you know. Yeah. Without words, she's just doing with that gesture. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah That's, absolutely. Yeah. I agree. They're she's true saying, partners. You. They're true partners, you know. Yeah they're, yeah, they're in it together. I like that, too. Yeah. Very good. So, this... This tag is my oh. um, second and final cutest couple moment nomination for the. You saved it to the end, board. baby. <laughs> I did, yeah. So I exactly what you were saying, Taya. The intentional locking of the door, yes. the communication between Lee and Amanda, verbal and nonverbal. John, exactly what you were saying with the hands. Yeah. I noted that too, and then the deliberate kiss. Finally, after being interrupted oh, so many times. It's pretty risque that it's happening at work, but they have that whole room to themselves. So <laughs> And they can they lock did it. What they to do. So yeah, definitely. Oh, that's a good one. Um, such a yeah. sweet, sweet moment. Finally, I feel Finally like such a good way to end season three for sure. Yeah. No, that's a good yes. one. That one's probably gonna win. That one's a good one. Yeah, <laughs> it's gonna win. That's a goodie. Oh, such a good one. Okay, I do like this one. I would have liked to have, you know, I'm, I love angst and stuff. So I would have liked to have their first kiss be a little more angst driven, you know, but uh, this is sweet too. It, it's nice. It's at the end. I wish they would have not let it be. I mean, I know they can't sit there and have a makeout session, but it would have been nice to have a little bit longer and not fade out so quickly. Does this one really count as their first kiss? Because in the episode, was it was it when he went and picked her up outside her house? They they did kiss when he was at her back door. Like they yeah, yeah in, in Dead Men in Leave No Trails. Yeah, yeah. very. Yeah, yeah. It's a that was a peck. That was yeah, a peck. Was, I don't count that as like for me. A kiss is like you know. And he was gone like that. Yeah, like yeah. Out. That was a peck <laughs> to me. That wasn't like a real. I mean, it was a kiss, yes, but it, it wasn't an intense kiss. This was more of an intense kiss. This was like the deliberate, yeah. deliberateness of it. Yeah, okay. that one was like, okay. here's something that's going to hold us off for a little bit. It wasn't the full on, like you so could kiss a, a friend like that and it wouldn't be that big of a deal. You know what I mean? What they did in the Cubro just now was definitely not a friendly kiss. Yeah. Like, why, why did you want their first kiss to be angst driven? I, I just I just feel like their whole life, you know, their whole uh, relationship has always been so angsty, you know, with so many life and death situations. I just, it would have been more um, befitting of that, I think, personally. For me, it does. Yeah. It, it, but it means more, I think, if it's not angst-driven. The whole show, though. More passion, like, I guess. The sexual tension between yes. them is, like, so intense. And then for, like, this to be their, their like, even if we count it as like their their 
true first kiss. It's so like sweet and like after such a buildup. Yes, that's what I'm. That's you've put it all into words for me. Thank you. I wanted it to be like you know Noah and Allie out in the rain. Like give me yes, yes, just more passion. Yes. Like, oh, thank God, like, finally, it's more like, oh, my God, let me get some Like, damn, yes, 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 all of what she just said, yes, all of what she just said. Yeah. Thank you for putting that so eloquently. Yeah, it doesn't have to be, like, I just, I just was looking for more passion. All this, yeah, it was just so much build up and build up, I mean, three years of this. All sweet, and you're like, oh, that's nice, but it's like, I wanted, like, nice, you know, like, They're not going to do that in the I 80s. know, I know. But, well, but they were building that. The they were building that up for a, a long time, though. So, I mean, they kind of oh, owed it to yeah. us, you know? They did. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They sure did. Yeah. <laughs> so, I bet you, if you review kisses around that era, that was a pretty reasonable kiss. It, I'm not saying it sucked. It was good. I'm just saying <laughs> it wasn't. Okay, it's not. But you say they couldn't do that. But look at how they did the very passionate kiss in Nightcrawler. That's a kiss. Yeah. You know, that so that's not. It. That was only uh, yeah, you know si- six, seven episodes. <laughs> you know, so uh, I would. It's not that much longer from now. I just was hoping for something a little. I was, you know, I would have liked to have seen a little bit more passion. That's all. This if was sweet. If something's been building for three years, yeah. it's going to be more than a pack. At yeah. least for me. Yeah, they seem to be pretty passionate people. Yes. So, yes. Yeah, no, I yes. think what you're saying. Yeah. We are, so, we are, I mean, we are insane. for more. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Angst yeah. for me doesn't mean passion. Angst means there's someone I misspoke. Death, like a life and death situation. And then it kind of takes away from the fact it's mm-hmm. about them because they're like, thrown together they're gonna die or something i maybe i misspoke and that's why i said let's see passionate uh, yeah yeah i wished it would have been more passion driven than it was yeah it's once again time for dotty's bookshelf for obvious reasons this is a fan favorite so dotty had many great stories to choose from for this episode her first recommendation is getting to know you by bb fan It was written in November of 2000 and has approximately 3,000 words. This story gives us some insight into what may have happened after the kiss in the cube bureau. Dottie's second recommendation is Trial by Fire, written by Ermitrude421 in December 2007 and has more than 41,000 words. This story is set between Three Little Spies and All the World's a Stage. Amanda's kidnapping gives Lee time to realize exactly what Amanda means to him. Dottie's final recommendation for the season is called Opening Weekend and was written by Lainey Sullivan in 2014 and has over 54,000 words. This story is rated M for mature audiences. But let's face it, if you're a regular listener to our podcast, you can handle it. This story delves into Lee and Amanda's newly discovered relationship. That does it for Dottie's recommendations for this episode and that does it for season three. We hope you enjoy the stories. As always, we'll provide links on our website at MKC Podcast in the show notes. However, you can also find these stories on fanfic.net. Ernie the Camera is here live in this episode to bring you videos from the vault for all the words of stage. This is the finale of season three and also between Lee and Amanda as you finally get to see that kiss. The first video is put together by our very own Taya or TJSNK LBR. The song is Then He Kissed Me by The Crystals. <laughs> in this episode, he finally takes control and ensures he can take the time and kiss Amanda. The second video is set to the song It Must Be Love by Madness. And all the clips 
in this video are from this episode, which is kind of neat. And the video is created by Moxie's SK Bids. The third and bonus video celebrates season three and contains a mashup of scenes from the season. And it was created by Love SNK. The song is Suns and Stars by Slow Motion Music. We have provided links to the videos on our website at mkcpodcast.com. So we checked the mailbag from Mrs. Marston, and we have a few new notes that we're going to go over today. Lori W. posted a comment on our show notes blog post for the episode Jay Edgar's Ghost. She said, in the podcast, you talked about the warehouse story. Is that something you could share with us? Sounded like it was pretty funny. Well, I think it was actually Jen, when she was talking with Dennis Duckwall, one of the producers here from Mrs. King producers. Brief story of this is really funny, but Dennis told Jen the story of him being a producer. Wasn't it his first production, like his first time producing like on his own, Jen, or close to it? I, I don't think so, okay. but maybe. Um, okay. It was just a story um, <laughs> from his producer days where yeah, he got in a little bit of hot water by not researching <laughs> stuff. But, you know, the points you were making were to Kendra, who's younger. You know, there weren't cell phones. There weren't, you know, he was kind of tying it into the younger generation and all the hardships he had managing it. But maybe, maybe it was his first one. Yeah, but he, he said that, you know, he was, he's the one who had to go out and try and find, they found this location for this warehouse. I think it's from Stemwinder because he said it was hot as hell. So I was... Probably when they were filming Stemwinder, which would have been in the summer of 86. And it was hot as heck. And uh, they got there and and there was no electricity at the warehouse. And Kate, he quoted Kate as saying, who's the fucking moron who didn't check for electricity? (laughs) And... I love that story because anytime uh, I know my my hero is using the F-bomb, I'm a happy camper. So I love that story. I think it's funny as hell. (laughs) And that would be horrendous to be there and have all those film people there. Everybody's sweating their balls off. Mm -hmm. And the budget, budget, they're already probably way behind. And (laughs) there's no electricity. So now how do you get electricity to this? Probably this secluded warehouse place <laughs> you know it's just it's awesome i love that story Cracks i can picture him running up to the payphone <laughs> up the block yes. calling in a, a bunch of favors yes. to get generators and lights yes because um, that's apparently what he did yeah <laughs> which i love wow. i just love that i think it's lyric. and i in my head i picture it being stemwinder that's just in my head i'm sure it might be something completely different than that but i just picture it in my head that way because it's the warehouse and stemwinder is very dark and very um, abandoned. You know, it's not a fake, it's a legit warehouse, you know, abandoned looking thing. So I can just, and then, and then that was filmed in the summer because it was leading into season, you know, it was starting season four up. So I just think, I love that. I think that's so funny. So yes, it was funny. Sorry. <laughs> yes. Thanks Lori for asking. Hopefully uh, that is well worth the wait. And our next piece of mail comes from Christina P. She sent it uh, to us via email. She said, good morning. Your podcast is always a fun way to pass the day while working. It feels like I'm hanging out with friends talking about a great show. I've convinced a friend of mine to watch Scarecrow and Mrs. King for the first time. We're about to start season two. Is there any way you would be willing to email me your revised watch order? 
She says, I'm an oddball who despises Facebook, so I can't get it that way. Either way, thanks for always bringing a smile to my face whenever I hear you lovely ladies. Christina. We wanted to share this piece of mail, but luckily Taya already took care of sending Christina the revised order. So thanks, Taya, for doing that. And thanks, Christina, for your comment. I hope the rest of your watching with your friend goes well and uh, they become a lifelong fan like I have become. Just don't uh, let them talk you. Don't let them. Don't. <laughs> Don't talk them into doing a podcast. <laughs> right. No, don't become too good friends. <laughs> oh, is that what it is? You, you've become no, too no. close and I sucked you in. <laughs> and no, now look no. at you. Four years later, you're still doing this. And not even a little bit. It's it's in my top, I would say still top five shows. I've come to love a lot more shows than I did when I originally watched it, but it's still something that I dear, um, near I and like dear. I bought all of them on iTunes and now I have um, like the Apple TV thing. So I'm able to just like pop them in instead of having to switch out the DVDs. So um, it's great. I, I love rewatching. I love that. that. I love that. It makes me happy that you yeah. like it so it's much. Easy. You know, I do. Um, I, I find myself watching more of season one and two than three and four. I always, uh, at least originally, I thought one and three were my favorite. Yeah. Utah, but for me, it's one and two. Even with this horrible season two here, <laughs> I, I don't. Yeah. Something about like the York episodes too. Yeah, I love two. those too. I'm, I'm yes, Lexi. Yeah, I, I, I love those two. Those are my favorites uh, as well. I love the European ones. And I mean, I went to Europe at, specifically in 90 to, to go and I saw a bunch of those places. And then I went back just in, in uh, 2019 to see most of them all over again because it's so beautiful there. It's just beautiful. I, I'm, I wish I had lived there. It was, it's gorgeous. So. But Absolutely. I'm so excited though that we have, there's, it's so cool to me that almost 40 years later, there's still people getting reintro- getting introduced, yeah. not only reintroduced, you know, because of the pandemic, a lot of people went out searching for things that made them happy. And when they were, yeah. you know, and felt safe. So I get yeah. that. But the ones that are new fans, I just like you are, you know, I wouldn't say you're new anymore. But you know what I mean? Like you didn't know about yeah. it. And now you do and you love it. And yeah. it's just I love it. I think it's I think it's so cool that yep. there's more it and more people on, starting. It, it, and it lives on through the fans. And I think that's super mm-hmm. important, especially nowadays where yeah. it's so easy to just consume content without thought and without yeah. um, any inspiration. Um, like these types of shows, you have to go out and kind of find, which is uh, on one hand, cool, but also unfortunate. I wish it was just on like Netflix or something. You could just stream it yeah. and get a bigger audience. But it's also cool because it kind of feels like a little bit of a club. You know, you know. A little nugget. Yeah. Yeah. But then it's yeah. fun when people also become interested. So I could totally see, you know, bringing me into the fandom specifically how it's just like, it's your favorite thing and you're, you're sharing it with your Yeah. Friends. And so, that somebody uh, likes it as much. Yeah. At first, when I, when I, when I, <laughs> When you first were like really getting into it, I was like, is she really like this or she just does she just like this because I'm her boss and she feels obligated not to offend me. (laughs) And then then I was like, no, she wouldn't do all this work just to do that. So (laughs) then I knew like you were a true fan. Yeah, it must have really solidified it for you when we spent that whole day at work um, putting together. Oh my the, god! Um, <laughs> programs that I was that I it wasn't. We just, were exhausted. Uh, 
Yes. Uh, no, that was, oh. it's a labor of love. It really, it really is. is. Your, your labor is more intensive than, than most, <laughs> especially mine. Uh, but no, it, it's, um, no, it's been it's fun. Definitely one of my favorite shows. It's great. That's I wish awesome. it would have gone on for longer as a, everyone, anyone who watches the show wishes. Yeah, I think so too. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you, Christina, though. That was very sweet. Yeah, yeah absolutely. And then our final uh, piece of mail, this uh, episode is from Kathy D. Um, she also posted a comment on our, show notes blog for the wrong way home she said i'm sad to hear that after you all finish doing the season episodes you won't be doing your podcast anymore sad emoji well kathy uh speaking of labor of love this is <laughs> an say. exhausting sometimes thankless sometimes daunting <laughs> but still fun journey but yeah. I, I mean taya first introduced this to us in may of 2017 yeah by the time that we're going to be done posting it's going to be november hopefully of 2022 that is five and a half years of our lives which again we all love the show we love getting to talk with each other we love um that connection that comes with a shared interest but it's a lot of work behind the scenes um to do a podcast <laughs> not just talking with your friends it's not just doing um like a watch party which you know especially during um this past year a lot of people have done with their friends and family to stay connected um there's taya spends hours and hours editing i've done a few and it's it's a exhausting task it really is um, there's the social media component. Taya does the screen caps of all the episodes. Um, you come up with all the questions. Um, the podcast wouldn't be what it was or what it is without Taya's resources as, resources as well, like the scripts. You, a lot of our listeners love hearing the script differences, and we do too. Um, it's something different and new that we haven't heard um, from. And uh, So uh, anyway, a lot of things go into the podcast. So as much as we're going to miss it, um, it's going to be a relief to be able to move on to yes. other projects, yes. non-podcast related. Yes. So um, we we so appreciate all of our listeners, new and old, and those that have just, you know, maybe listened to a couple episodes and those that have listened to everyone. But uh, we we are very firm in our commitment. We have 22 one. left now oh, and we're counting them down. Yeah. We are absolutely counting them down. Um, it's again, it's a blast. We're still always going to be friends, but oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, it's it's uh, this will be our one and only podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Mark our words. No, it's just it's a lot. If it was just us getting together, like I would love just to get together and have like little you know Zoom meetings and stuff like that, or or you know we've gotten together before and 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 at events and things like that. So that's all great. It's just it's the it's the if we could just do this, sure, but it's all the other stuff that comes after you record and, and that sort of yeah. thing. And all the prep work. I mean, you know, yeah. getting, you know, Dottie's bookshelf together, getting yeah. the videos all put together for Ernie's, um, Ernie the camera's video vault, for getting Mrs. Marston's mail all together, doing Lexi doing all the social media. It is a ton of work to come up with the questions, Miranda, do the polls, the technical stuff, the technical you know, stuff which is so hard. That. Yeah, that it's is, so especially cool. lately and, and, mm-hmm. <laughs> with with yeah. our, our attack, the, um, uh, our our platform being That's attacked, true. and mm-hmm. you know, yeah. it's just all these different things. It's just 
And then the, the cost of it too. I mean, we yeah. pay for, you know, the, the website, we pay for the, the um, use of the URL, you know, the, yeah. um, all the, all the different things that we did for the, the 35th reunion and all that stuff, you know, that, it's a lot of money that goes into it too. So it's, it's mm-hmm. definitely a labor of love and we do love it and we wouldn't do it if we didn't love it. And we would love each other. We love getting together and, and being, you know, it's like a book club, you know, it's, it's yeah. a lot of fun. But yeah, mm-hmm. I I definitely am looking forward to just being done, you know. Yeah. My husband yeah. earlier today, I, I said, yeah, we're this is our last one of the season and we only have 22 left. I go, which 22 seems daunting, but out of, when we started, we had 88. When we did the first one, I remember saying, okay, we got one in the can. Now we have 87 more to go. So now, yeah. you know, we've got 22 left and it's it's um, pretty amazing, you know. And my yeah. husband was like, yeah, I thought you would have stopped doing it during the first season. <laughs> that we would have given up with all the work that was involved, yeah. but we hung in. And I, a lot of other people would, but, um, you know, Jen, Taya, and I specifically are very type A people and we're going to finish the project. Uh, so with that being said, we will, we will be happy to finish this Yes, and happiest when it's finished. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, for we'll, sure. We'll have the memory and we'll have the episodes for posterity. So yeah. Those yeah. will be around, but no, no, you guys. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we'll be around. Hey. As a Scarecrow Mrs. King reunion happens, we'll be the first ones back. We'll, oh, for sure. We'll yeah, we might have a special. Uh, I was going to say we might yeah. do a special or something like that for sure. But yeah. yeah. Or, or even if there's like a convention, like maybe the forty the 40th reunion, yeah. we'll, we'll do a, a special episode. Yeah. Um, but as far as like a regimented release of oh, two weeks, no. um, th- those days will be done come November. <laughs> <laughs> those, <laughs> those days are numbered. <laughs> yeah. Yes. But it has been fun. Well, yeah. It really, but, first. Um, and foremost it's been fun yeah yeah absolutely yeah, yeah. so um that those were the uh, new pieces of mail mrs marston brought us um as always if you would like to leave a comment share feedback just let us know you're listening reach us via email um, mrs king's chronicles at gmail.com um you can also post comments on our website as well those are the best ways to reach us that way okay so one last little bit this is kind of a little bonus um we actually have a unfilmed script and this is called a fishtail and it's not specific to when it was written or for what season it was written i believe it's season three ish it could be season two it's definitely not four and it's definitely not i would i be surprised if it was one but it's um written by tina garmaze g-a-r-m-a-i-s-e and it doesn't have any indication of when it was set for amanda goes to help Dottie. Dottie was going to do some cooking thing that in a cooking group she was in and she had to uh she had a bunch of stuff she needed to do. So Amanda offered to help. So Amanda ends up having to go to the fish market. Now, the one thing that's often this, uh, that was a blaring issue was that Amanda doesn't like fish. Well, then why would Amanda eat the fish sandwich from uh, fast food for thought? <laughs> so it didn't go with that. So maybe this is set well before that. And that's why. So maybe it was early season three or maybe season two. But anyways, Amanda goes to the fish market and somehow fish that was meant for these Russians 
with a cassette tape shoved in the fish uh, was is mixed up with Amanda's fish. So it's very reminiscent to me of Fearless Dottie from season one when the books get mixed up and then all mm-hmm. chaos ensues because of it. It's pretty much like that. Nothing super exciting on it. Um, it's kind of uh, flat to me. It, it came out kind of flat. The Russians are, they work at the Russian embassy. They're cooks, uh, chefs in the embassy. So they they don't know what they're doing. They're kind of thrown into being spies uh, and they kind of are like just bumbling idiots about it. So of course they're no match for Amanda because you know, Amanda's kind of used to all this. So it, it has to do with her getting a, in the beginning of the episode, she gets a answering machine with the little cassettes and that's how they get mixed up. And so they take that. It's, it's kind of, it, it is very much reminds me a lot. If I had to put it with anything, it reminds me of fearless Dottie with a lot of the bad guys, missing in in and getting the wrong things and thinking they're getting something when they're not and so it's just um it was okay it it I can see why they didn't use it it's not up to par for um what we're used to and actually the the worst part is the tags missing it's it just says to come so they haven't even written the tag so that the tag would have probably been a little bit more of an indicator of what season it was set in but um, so mm-hmm. it's a little, it was a little disappointing, honestly. I don't know. There was, there's kind of a odd neighbor in it and it's just kind of weird. So I would say, I would think probably if I had to guess, I would say season two, hmm. maybe season three early, but yeah. yeah. A fish tail is what this one's called though. And I give it a four out of 10. Ooh, <laughs> yeah. One. Yeah. Not, hmm. not so great. Not so great. So how did you find that script? If it uh, was? I bought it. Um, yeah, I just bought it on eBay, probably. Yeah, it's definitely I mean, it's definitely a a legit, you know, it's definitely legit Scarecrow Mrs. King script. You know, it's got the set list. It's got, you know, the cast list and all that. Um, It's definitely Scarecrow. And it's the characters and everything. And it looks just like the regular script. So it's not a, you know, made up one. It's a legit one. It just it never we've had it we've gone through a couple. um, Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, from earlier seasons that just they never get filmed. And you know, they get put out there. So it's kind of fun that we get to see them what was Mm -hmm. kind of like, uh, the cutting room floor, you know, that never made it. Yeah. So anyways, just thought we'd share that. You might have said it already. But did you say who wrote it? Yeah. Uh, It was um, Tina Germais, I want to say. No, Garmaze. Tina Garmaze. Yeah, she didn't write anything else uh, that we're... I don't know, can you... Lex, can you look her up real quick, see if she's a writer on anything? She has two... Scarecrow... Oh, duh, wasn't filmed. Um, So she has two credits. Art Department in 1986, The Big Easy and Invaders from Mars. She was a property assistant and property manager. Hmm. And then she was a production assistant on... St. Elmo's Fire in 1985. So that's it. Is the fishtail one listed there? Unfilmed it or no? Not. Okay, I, I was going to say, I'd be surprised if it was. I was thought you were saying it was. I was like, oh, wow. No, no, no. Okay. No. Okay. So, yeah. So writing really wasn't her, her forte. <laughs> no, definitely not. No, I, was like, um, I was like, oh, Scarecrow's not on here. And then I'm like, duh, they didn't film yeah, it. That's they never filmed it. Yeah, they never filmed it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I wonder what they I do know. with those. Like, does a person get paid or, you know, I wonder. Right. Hmm. Yeah. Interesting. So that's a wrap for season three podcast episodes. Before we move on to season four, though, uh, we're planning to do something fun for the MKC Finest Awards. So stay tuned for future updates on that. You may be wondering where those updates will be. 
Well, as always, you can keep up with us via our website, mkcpodcast.com, and on our various social media platforms, on Twitter and Facebook at MKC Podcast, and in our private Facebook group, Mrs. King's Chronicles. We'll likely put out a survey for voting for the MKC Finest Awards and announce the results on Facebook Live in our group, and then afterwards post the results on our website after the live is over. But that's up in the air to be determined, and we'll keep you posted on it. Next, we'll be on to season four. I truly can't believe we only have 22 episodes to go. If you thought we were finally getting away from a revised show order, we're not done just yet. We'll be back starting with Unfinished Business before getting into Stemwinder 1 and 2 for episodes 2 and 3. Thanks, everyone, as always, for joining us, and stay tuned for our final season. Bye. 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 Bye.